Oh yeah. Canceled too soon. A podcast. Podcast. About TV. Television shows. That were. That were very, very short. Canceled too soon. One season or less. Oh yeah. This week on Canceled Too Soon. Manimal. Half man. Half manimal. All manimal. I got nothing to add. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Cancelled Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William DeBiani. I am a film critic for Crave Online and Blumhouse.com. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I am a film critic also for Crave Online and also for Blumhouse.com. And recently back at Nerdist. Yeah, that's awesome, they, man. You're officially nerdy again. Nerdy again. Yeah. I, I was never nerdy before, and I'm still not You were briefly nerdy, nerdy and then you weren't nerdy for a few years, and now you're nerdy again. Nerdy again, which is yeah. going to be the name of, name of a memoir, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, I am also the co-host of the B-Movies podcast. From, from Whence We, we Hail. Hail. And uh, this week... Uh, before we get started on uh, one of our most requested episodes. Most requested, uh, not just most requested, one of the most notorious short-lived TV series in TV history. Yes, we'll get to it. But before <laughs> we do, we have to say an enormous thank you mm-hmm. to all of our listeners. We set up an Amazon wish list. And um, uh, you have showered us. <laughs> yeah, so again, we haven't signed up for Patreon yet. We think we're gonna, and probably reasonably soon, because apparently we have a lot of supporters. Our original plan was we'll get... Uh, we'll encourage our fans, and if one or two thought to do so, we'd be happy uh, to send us DVDs from our Amazon wish lists of shows that we could review in the mm. future. We thought maybe we'd get a few. I was optimistically hoping for maybe a dozen. We have almost 50. Yeah, yeah. You guys, uh, you opened your hearts, you opened your wallets. Yes. And, uh, in particular, we want to thank a, a woman named Cindy L. Kupchoy, who I think spent a few hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, it's, it's insane. You've been, you've been, we have a rack right in front of us, and we just can't stop staring at it. Of, I like, know. The, the 50 TV series. So there's good news that you've and bad all sent news. in. We, uh, we got American Gothic. Yes. We got. American Gothic. The other the American, other American Gothic. Gothic. Uh, we have a whole bunch of shows about cops teaming up with robots. We have a bunch more sitcoms, which we've been meaning to do more of, and now we have a bit more material. Uh, we have cult shows aplenty. We have a few things uh, I didn't even put on that list, which brings me to a point I do want to make. Hmm. Uh, if you send us something that isn't on our Amazon wish list, uh, please make sure it lasted only one season or less, because we did get one show, <laughs> Jericho. We're talking to you, Jericho. Uh, one show, Jericho lasted more than one season. Now, because someone bought it for us mm-hmm. and because it's a, a, a rather expensive set we will at one point do Jericho because the second season was very truncated and we already made one exception for Police Squad but after Jericho uh, no more exceptions so, and stick, we will stick to our rules please yes. and and again we really appreciate all your donations but after after Jericho if you send us something that doesn't fit our rules we will contact you about a way to return mm-hmm. the DVD to you get you a, a, mm-hmm. a refund on Amazon uh, uh, whatever, because obviously we don't want to take something we can't use. But we right. will use Jericho because it's a cool show. Uh, but the problem, again, with having about 50 donations that we haven't even gotten to yet <laughs> uh, is that that's about a year's worth of episodes, and we still have other stuff planned. Mm. So it's going to take us a while to get to your show. So so we, we, we do want to get to your shows, yes. but uh, by that same token, we also want to get to our shows. <laughs> there, there's stuff we also want to do, well, so we'll, we'll get to all of these. Again, we want to no discover worries. stuff. We yeah, want to like, yeah, find yeah. stuff like the Bill and Ted sitcom. We want to find stuff like 
the 100 Lives of Black Jack Savage, in which mm. Donald Trump teams up with the Black Ghost Pirate mm. to solve mysteries in a sci-fi superboat. We want to find <laughs> the stuff. Which to date is our crown jewel. Oh my, Still our highest rated episode. Uh, we want to be able to find stuff that you've never heard of. Mm. And in order to do that, we need to go to stuff that hasn't been on DVD. So we're going to try to get through, hopefully, at least two viewer submissions a month. From here right, on out, right, right. but then we're also going to spike that with some cool stuff mm. that may surprise you. So, uh, but we're actually going to get started with another uh, reader submission today. <laughs> Again, it is one of the most notorious one season wonders. Didn't even get through a full season uh, in television history. It is sometimes called one of the worst television series of all time. I'm going to let William Conrad explain it to you. This is Manimal. Dr. Jonathan Chase, wealthy, young, handsome, a man with the brightest of futures, a man with the darkest of pasts. From Africa's deepest recesses to the rarefied peaks of Tibet, heir to his father's legacy and the world's darkest mysteries. My son, you must have faith and learn. This is not the end. This is the beginning. Jonathan Chase, master of the secrets that divide man from animal. Animal from man. Manimal. Manimal is a show about Dr. Jonathan Chase. <laughs> JC, to his friends. Yeah, like Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Like, like that's how reverent we are of our hero and Manimal. Uh, who who can turn into animals? He works as a criminologist who mm-hmm. helps out the police department, but like kind of how the rules apply to him is pretty nebulous. Um, <laughs> and the gag of Manimal is that he can change into any animal he wants, although he usually changes into whatever a, pan- a panther or a hawk. Like those are the two things he's got in his in his back pocket for almost any occasion. He essentially turns into the thing that Fox TV had in, in their animal backlot. Yeah, yes, that, like yeah. they're in their in their well, it was NBC in their or their NBC excuse me, whatever NBC had in their zoo that they could train yeah. that day. That's what he could turn yeah, we, into. We, we got the panther. We're going to use the panther. But occasionally, he over the course of the series, he does turn into uh, a bull. He turns into a snake in a one snake episode. At one point, a, a house cat at one point, a parrot uh, in what at one point. That was a good one. Mm. Uh, so there, he does mix it up a little bit, but not nearly enough for my taste. No, in fact, the whole angle of him being able to turn into an animal is so secondary to the series. It really is kind it's, of generic cop show it, for most of it. It's called Manimal. This guy can turn into animals. And of course, you know, they have the special effects to show him changing. So they're going to show that mm. at ad infinitum. Time. However, At least twice an episode, there's an extended transformation mm. sequence designed by Stan, Stan Winston. Winston. Yeah. So sometimes it's cool. Sometimes it's just horrifying. The bur- There's a, a shot in when he's turning into the hawk. Uh, I think like, it's in the last episode, yeah. That's what well, you're talking about. No, the, anytime he turns into the hawk, oh, yeah. they, they show this sort of same shot. Because they have, there's a close-up of his hand turning into either a paw or a talon. Mm-hmm. Uh, if his hand turns into a talon, what happens to his feet? That's what I was wondering. Yeah. There's a close-up but, of his uh, skin, and you can see feathers, like, feathers 
feathers coming out, out, which is kind of cool. The actually. feathers turning out, and then there's a, a like a close up of his face, and you see his nose kind of turning into a beak. Uh-huh. And then there's a, a a shot of him almost hawk, but still has human eyes. Uh-huh. That is the most terrifying thing you've ever seen. And they, then they also do this like extreme close up of a hawk's eye, but it's like a human half hawk eye. <laughs> like and the, it's, yeah, it's so dynamically scary. <laughs> And they keep cutting back to it. Like, mm-hmm. it's it feels like the sort of thing, like, Gus Van Sant would, like, splice into his remake of Psycho <laughs> just to, like, shock you it, for it, a split it really, second. It really does look like something out of a Bunuel film. It's just, yeah. yeah, really scary. It's really, really weird. But, but Stan Winston. Stan Winston did create that. Mm-hmm. And so kudos to Stan Winston for lending his expertise to Manimal of all and, things. And then going on to better things Much after Manimal. Better. You know Stan Winston from Terminator? And uh, Predator. He uh, created any, most any, of the great. Well, not not Alien, but he created most of the great. Yeah, monsters he he did all of the of yeah, the modern era, like the creature things. The makeup mm-hmm. stuff was more Rick Baker. Yes, uh, the creature stuff was more Stan Winston. Yeah, although they did cross pollinate. And Stan Winston would so. make a lot of cool practical effects. Like yeah. he would uh, he would do like all the robots in AI. My, it was one of his last projects. My favorite uh, Stan Winston monster was uh, the Relic. The, the really? monster. I love. I love that monster. I think that's a cool looking monster. Dumb looking monster. I don't care for the. <laughs> it's got relic. big stag beetle claws I, on its face. And it rips directed, your brain out. It's pretty cool. Stan Winston directed one movie, Pumpkinhead, which is not a great movie, but my god, that's a cool monster. That is a cool monster. That's a really really cool monster. So, uh, Manimal aired mm-hmm. on NBC on September uh, from September thirtieth, nineteen eighty three to November fifth, nineteen eighty three. At which point it was canceled, but they burned off the last couple of episodes between December third, nineteen eighty three, and December seventeenth, nineteen eighty three. And Manimal, it was a honest, magical year. The magical year. <laughs> there was a lot of. Uh, uh, a lot of people just it became a subject of mockery mm. very well, very quickly. The, f- um, first off, just the title yeah, is, is, title. is a silly title. It sounds like a kids show. Mm. It, it's it's a dumb portmanteau. You have a cop show about a guy who can turn into an animal. Can't, can't Get you call, it? Can't you call it like the hawk or the animal? The animal would be fine. Yeah, menagerie sounds pretty good. <laughs> like there's a lot of things you could have done, and that they went with manimal, which makes it sound pretty stupid. But which is weird because manimal sounds like a trucker or like <laughs> or like a cab driver. Like this is manimal. I've no. got the I've got the jetty going down the sweepstakes. Yeah. What's your forty? Like I don't actually know CB lingo. <laughs> that was close enough. Uh, Doctor Jonathan Chase, however as played by the uh, resplendently classy Simon McCorkendale. One of the best names. One of the best names. Yeah. uh, Who looks a lot like Scott Bakula and Aaron Eckhart combined like that he's like that's a sort british of scott bacula as i was describing i mean yeah. i can see that yeah and uh very very handsome he's, very he's, refined yeah he's not the sort of down-to-earth chunky trucker dude he's mm-hmm. he's this classy guy who's always in a really nice suit yeah he's got like a, a three white piece suit a white scarf draped around his neck like that one episode of the simpsons where they did like an episode of a cop show where oh, homer simpson was a cop i swear to god the look of that cop was based on homer on on man you know it was i guarantee you every single writer on the simpsons has seen manimal oh yeah Conan O'Brien has manimal screening parties at his house. (laughs) This is a legendary show. I I suspect uh, the first time you heard of manimal was the same time I heard of manimal, which Mm. was on a reference on MST3K, Mystery Science Theater 2000. (laughs) They have also seen every episode of manimal. In which uh, Tom Servo, where they were talking about the great mysteries of the universe, and Mm. Tom Servo was just like, and yet all I can ask is why? Why? 
Why did they cancel Manimal? Why? <laughs> and I'll tell you why they cancel Manimal. It's not just because the show isn't very good. Mm. And it's, spoiler alert, it's not it's very not good. It's not very good. <laughs> uh, but the real reason why the show, even though like other dumb shows found an audience in this time period, Knight Rider was a hit. Mm. Knight Rider is also kind of a dumb show. Uh, the reason why Manimal didn't have a chance in hell is because the pilot episode, the thing that explained what Manimal was, aired opposite the episode of Dallas that came right right after who shot JR the biggest uh, cliffhanger in television history uh, one of the most watched uh, television events in history aired opposite manimal well, and in manimal fact, didn't have a chance and in fact it aired opposite dallas its entire run and yeah. dallas was a, a steam train not just because of the who yeah. shot jr but thing no one was everybody watched this. everybody watched dallas nobody's missing dallas before dvr before uh, uh, uh any sort of recording system was, you watched was, one show and that's all you watched you, you missed it you missed it yeah you you <laughs> scheduled your time oh. around something like holy shit, Dallas is back. Mm. Like, if you missed the finale, you there's no fucking way you missed when it it's, returns and you find out who shot like, J.R. Like, imagine, imagine like, you missed, like, you're late to seeing, say, the premiere of Iron Fist and you're seeing all of your friends on Twitter talking about Iron Fist. Imagine that never ending. Like, you don't yeah. get to go back and catch up and, yeah, you and join the conversation. You will never see that episode of Iron Fist, you just, get, you just get to hear the conversation. Yeah. So no one wanted to do that. Uh, so Manimal, Manimal was fucked, basically. Yeah. Uh, um, now, this came in, you, you mentioned Knight Rider. This mm-hmm. was part of a whole slew of these sort of gimmicky cop shows that oh, yeah. came out in the, the early 1980s, mm-hmm. few of which actually got traction. Knight Rider mm-hmm. was like one of the few exceptions. Yes. So Manimal is actually part of a tribe of shows kind of yeah. like this. Many of them created or co-created by mm-hmm. Glenn A. Larson, who co-created Manimal. Glenn A. Larson uh, is a, a guy we're going to get to a lot. <laughs> a lot of his shows were canceled he had, quickly. He, and, but he also had a lot of hits. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, he he did Magnum P.I. Yeah. Uh, I think he did Night Rider, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, he he was a mega producer. Everyone knew Glenn A. Larson. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get to some of his shows, including the original Battlestar Galactica. That's <laughs> a show we decided we're going to... The debate is over. We decided mm-hmm. we're going to do Battlestar. We're going to yeah. let it slide. Uh, he did The Fall Guy. He did, uh, he did That Quincy. one lasted. Yeah. Also lasted. He did Auto Man, which was basically the that, TV ripoff of Tron. That's... Uh, we're doing that for sure. We got... we Someone sent us that mm-hmm. one. We're going to do Auto Man sooner than later. Get Christy Love, which I haven't tracked down yet. Yeah. And here's one that is not available, but I was able to find a copy. Hmm. Masquerade. <laughs> we're going to do Masquerade at some point in the near future, yeah. and I'm super stoked about that. Kirstie Alley's Spy Show. BJ, That's cool. BJ and the Bear, yeah. unfortunately, lasted three seasons. Glenn, Glenn A. Larson <laughs> was referred to, I think, by Harlan Ellison as Glenn Larceny, because a lot of his career was spent, oh, that was a hit movie, I'm going to do a rip-off TV series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, like, BJ and the Bear was, like, a it's rip-off of... of every, every Which Way But Lose. Uh, every Which Way But Lose, Every exactly. Which Way But Lose. Yeah, uh, uh, I, guess, I guess, I guess Tron. And Any Which Way You Can was the first one. But, yeah. Exactly. Um, uh, so, but it was also created by uh, Donald R. Boyle, who worked on the six uh, the six million dollar man okay. and also a show I'm very disappointed lasted two seasons because I wanted to cover it mm. Bigfoot and Wild Boy <laughs> well that that was a, a Sid and Marty Croft joint as well yeah and Bigfoot We're and Wild Boy Bigfoot and Wild Boy is about a handsome white blonde man in a loincloth who teams up with superhero Bigfoot. To fight crime in the woods. I know. I'm just disappointed. The, we don't get the to best talk idea it. ever. I know. Yeah. Well, I'm a little upset. Actually, we're going to be talking a little bit about a Glenn A. Larson series that uh, I'm relieved we get to talk about called Nightman. Uh, oh God. Uh, we get to talk about Nightman because you know what? I read the Nightman comics. Uh-huh. I'm like one of three people. This is going to be my only chance to talk about my knowledge of Nightman. <laughs> so. 
Nightman, here's Strap why. in. <laughs> the reason why we get to talk about Nightman yes. is that after the cancellation of Manimal... In 1983... Yeah, 15 years later... Glenn A. Larson was producing a superhero series called Nightman, based on a not particularly popular comic book. Uh, Which was technically owned by Marvel. But it was not, like owned not... by an imprint that Marvel acquired. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, that show lasted for two seasons. and But in the second season, mm. they did one episode called Manimal! In which Simon McCorkendale popped up as Manimal as, again. As Dr. Jonathan Chase. He returned yeah. in one episode. Yeah. So, and it's a fucking weird episode. Oh, golly, and we're totally is it ever. Because uh, it kind of changes everything about Manimal, but we'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, the, other, the other notable uh, uh, contributor in Manimal uh, behind the scenes mm. uh, is the composer. Now, the original pilot, and I presume the primary theme, uh, the, was the composed. Pilot, which, which was a 90-minute special. Yeah, it was like a TV movie kind of yeah. deal. If, I assume if it didn't succeed, they would have repackaged it and used that is like a movie of the week. Right. Uh, but the original composer was uh, Paul Chihara, who had a very respectable uh, movie career. Uh, he composed Death Race 2000. He also composed the theme for the Doctor Strange TV series, which we have already covered on Cancel Too Soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after the pilot, he was replaced by a young and hungry Alan Silvestri. <laughs> Alan Silvestri is one of the greatest composers of all time. He, he's very prolific, especially in like the genre films of the 80s that mm-hmm. you and I grew up watching. He, he did worked with music. Robert Zemeckis a lot. Yeah. He did Back to the Future. One of the best themes ever. Mm. He did Forrest Gump, which "Say What You Will" is a fantastic score. Uh, he did Predator. Predator. <laughs> he also did. He also did some TV before he started hitting the big in movies. He did uh, Chips, and he did Scar- uh, Starsky and Hutch. Oh, that's right. He did Chips. Yeah, Chips is a great theme song. It does have a great theme uh, song. It's a terrible uh, movie, though. <laughs> some of my wife's friends came up with lyrics for uh, for the Chips theme song. Really? Da 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 da. That's the the, the, uh-huh. the riff. And they add, add in the phrase. Saving the freeway from assholes. <laughs> we should, I, I can't take credit for that, unfortunately, because that's brilliant. You should have told the makers of the movie that. I bet they would have used it. Yeah, probably. It's, it's just their kind of humor. <laughs> I'm sorry you've seen Chips already. All right, I so, have not seen the new Chips movie. Uh, in the pilot episode, we're introduced to the cast of Manimal. We've already mm-hmm. talked about Dr. Jonathan Chase, mm-hmm. Simon McCorkendale, uh, who sadly uh, uh, died. He passed away in 2010. Uh, but Rest he, in peace, Simon McCorkendale. You were one classy MF. He was, he was really good in this show. Like, the cast is mostly quite good. I'll give yeah. him that. But you also might know him from Death on the Nile, I, Claudius, and he was on the hit series Falcon. Oh, he was on I, Claudius. That's right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I love I, Claudius. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Um, he is joined by, in his adventures, yeah. he is joined by Brooke McKenzie, played she, by actor. She's the cop yeah. of the like the the actual legit cop. Yeah, she is played by actress Melanie Anderson, who is best known for her role in Flash Gordon. She played Dale. Yeah, a great role, and she's hilarious in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was also in the horror movie Dead and Buried, which has a bit of a cult following. Oh, I haven't seen was, that one. And she was on All My Children. Mm-hmm. Uh, she deserved better, I think. She's really great, yeah. and she usually had underwritten roles. Mm. Like Flash Gordon is a good uh, good film for her because she was funny. Yeah, she's a very yeah. funny actor, and she deserved. She should. She should have been in like some of those bigger comedies. Like if she was in like, she should have been in something like one of the Ghostbusters movies or, or, or something. Or like she should have like th- one of the w- girlfriends in Three Men and a Baby. Yeah, like something, something, like something where she'd gotten to shine a bit more. Mm-hmm. She, she, she deserved better. Uh, they're also joined by a series regular Lieutenant Nick Rivera, which just sounds like a Simpsons character uh, played by Rennie. Well, San- Nick, Nick Riviera is a Simpsons character. I know that's what I mean. <laughs> Uh, and he's, he, he's played by Rennie Santoni from Dirty Harry and Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. He's the boss he, He's cop. the d- disapproving boss. He has nothing to do ever. I assume they would have given him a, a couple episodes uh, to flesh I, out his character eventually. 
Like, he, like he's he's given top billing. He's not even in all the episodes. He's not even really serving an important function. Like he's yeah. sending him off on missions or anything, which is why I think eventually they thought they would have done more with him, Maybe but they so. just never got around to it. Uh, and in the pilot, they're joined by uh, the great Glenn Turman, who you know from Cooley High, Gremlins, House mm-hmm. of Lies, and The Wire, as a guy named Ty Earl, who was with Jonathan Chase in Vietnam. He was like his Vietnam War buddy. Yeah. And, and in was, the pilot, he was, he's, he's like... He's not, not a cop, but he knows about the animal yeah. thing. He's like, he's like only three people know my secret. He's that guy. He's, yeah. he's the Orco of the series. Yeah, yeah. He's... In the pilot, he's... He's cool, actually. Like, mm-hmm. he's tough. He's he's capable of handling himself. Because, again, he was a Vietnam War vet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's he has a lot of dignity in this, what could have been uh, a jokey, annoying side character role. And well, guess the, what? Guess what they did? <laughs> the pilot, they rewrote the character so that he's a jokey, annoying side character mm-hmm. played by Michael D. Roberts, an actor who I'm a fan of. He's hilarious in Ice Pirates. But you also know him from mm-hmm. Beretta and uh, the short-lived, I, I just, but not short-lived enough for our podcast. Uh, sitcom about adorable twins called Double Trouble. Oh no! Yes. Oh, I wish we could talk about Double Trouble. I know you're right. That was the guy from Ice Pirates. Um, yeah. yeah, and his unfortunately, in turning him into sort of this jokey sidekick character, uh-huh. you rob him of every function he would have dramatically on the show. There's nothing for him to do. Like occasionally, he'll help out by like going undercover mm-hmm. or like lying to a cop or something. But mostly, he's just sort of scrounging trying to trying to get money that's kind of his shit yeah he's he's a gambler and, he's like a con artist he's sleeping around mm. he's he never wants to do anything he always has to be dragged into every sequence okay. and you got to wonder why he's even there I want to grab him by the lapels and say dude you know manimal <laughs> Manimal's your friend be be more be more like manimal <laughs> there's a, there's an interview Mm. On the official Manimal DVD, there's a there's a decent about twenty minute interview mm. with Glenn A. Larson. By the way, Shout Factory put out a very respectable DVD of Manimal. Uh, <laughs> Shout Factory will go there. They do they do excellent work, mm. and we thank them. And we're going to be revisiting Shout Factory DVDs throughout the podcast. Uh, their DVD of Manimal has an has an interview with Glenn Larson in which he explains the change. His explanation, and I'm sure there's more to it than this. But his explanation was they wanted to switch it up because they felt they needed a character who uh, represented the audience's sense of wonder. Someone who feels mm. like out of their element. Someone yeah. who's like... so Who's actually astonished by Dr. Jonathan yeah. Chase's ability to change into animals. His argument was that Michael D. Roberts was a better reactor. Mm. And that he would respond with sort of disbelief in a way that Glenn Turman uh, responded with more and uh, I, I uh, can, you know, grounded confidence in, the, in that reality. And I can I can understand that. I, can I underst- disagree with that, but I do understand. I can understand the need, and even if you're going to change the character into somebody who's a little bit more like an avatar for the everyman, then that that's also fine. But you need to do it in a way. There's only a reason to be in the show. Yeah, there, like, like he would the, actually have to contribute something. He could can't yeah. just be sort of there. Yeah, and it, he's just sort of there. He's and just in sort fact. Of there, yeah. Manimal, the whole series, is just sort of there. Um, the whole notion of that he... Where Dr. Jonathan Chase learned how to change into animals was... He inherited it from his father. His father and was like a, some sort of sociologist like he, or researcher but who was he became, traveling in distant lands and, and he, picked he, up he something sort of, from a witch doctor. Uh, yeah, like he, he was talking to all like different kinds of mystics. And yeah. they never use the word magic or mutation. They, so they never really kind of give any kind of grounded explanation as they to what they... explain it a little bit more in the Nightman episode, actually. Uh, yeah, uh, exactly. We have to yeah. wait until 1997. 15 years later, after, you get a little yeah, bit more into it. 15 years after the series is canceled, yeah. we finally learn. But uh, 
Yeah, so it, it's really kind of unclear from the get-go what exactly is happening with Manimal. Yeah. Like, we know he can change into animals, and we have these long transformation effects that are very American Werewolf in London, mm-hmm. where we see, like, his snout extending. Like, his body mm-hmm. is actually kind of mutating, and he has to breathe deeply. Yeah, so, it's, it's, it sounds like he has emphysema. Like, so it's, it, like, really... It, it yeah. sounds like... It, it sounds like it's painful. Yeah, so it, it, it sounds like this is sort of like a meditation practice. Mm-hmm. He's actually kind of oh, that, just, like, yeah. tapping into just his biological potential and mutating his body, even if he's crunching himself down into the body of, like, a snake or a hawk. Yeah. But when we see a flashback to his father, we see his father die in flashbacks yeah. over and over again. They use that flashback in oh, yeah. every Oh, well, I want to talk about the intro to this series. And, uh, yeah. and we see his father sort of, like, I, he's dying, he's passing his power on to his son, who's played by a young actor in the flashback, and he's just sort of reaching out, and then he kind of ascends like Yoda. Like, like he his, evaporates. His body evaporates, ether, and we yeah. see his clothes sort of deflate, which I think is a cool effect. <laughs> it's always a fun effect. I, I, I like that effect. Yeah. So, the implication there is that it's completely magical. Like, yeah. like poof, energy forms around him, and just poof, yeah. he can turn into an animal. Yeah. Which is kind of how they did it in Nightman. Like, he, yeah. didn't, he didn't sort of have to de- breathe deep and mutate. He just, there's well, like was, flashing lights. Yeah, I think the idea... CGI's very quickly You could go animal. either way about that. It's magic, but it still might be a physical process. Your body is still uh, yeah. changing. My point is, uh, you have such an extraordinary premise. I want a little bit more nuts and bolts of, like, where he lives, yeah. how he operates, well, how, what this mutation is, it's how of, he feels about it. That would be nice. frustrating because it, I like the idea of incorporating Manimal in Nightman because mm-hmm. it implies that there's more cool stuff going on. Mm. The problem with Manimal as a concept is that you've got a supernatural fantasy superhero character yeah. who does really normal shit. Well, that, All that was, of his plots that, are just standard, like any other cop show could have done these plots. That's the Glenn A. Larson, Larson thing, though. It's like yeah. ordinary cop show with one like magical realism element. That's, it, that that's what Knight Rider was. Well, even shows like Beyond Westworld were like that, you yeah. know, where it's like we've got this huge thing. It's like, but, yeah, but what are we doing? We're going to like... We're gonna like ta- fix- infiltrate a racetrack. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna fix a football game. You have robots. Come on, and, and yeah, that's exactly the uh, the problem with Manimal. He yeah. he runs up against crimes that are yeah. so banal. It's actually a surprisingly <laughs> boring show, <laughs> and even the action. Like you would think, there's a couple good bits. There's a uh, here and there, but yeah. uh, when they do aerial stunts, there's some the, cool stuff. the aerial stunt thing was really great. Done it, that, they do that twice. It was so cool. great they brought it back for <laughs> Nightman, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, just there are like some foot chases or car chases, and they are like the most flatly filmed, mm-hmm. like long shots, long takes, long mm-hmm. boring like foot races and climbing up ladders really slowly. Yeah. These are not action sequences. It's just people doing stuff. Basically. <laughs> um, all right, so in the opening episode mm-hmm. uh, of Manimal, uh, Manimal is investigating a gun smuggling ring. Yeah. Never mind why. There's no real well, reason why he has to again, do it other than generic do-gooderness. I was going to bring that up. Uh, more nuts and bolts of like how he came to be. Why is he fighting for justice? Why is he fighting crime? How, do, do how does he moonlight? He's a professor, and only in the pilot do we ever see him teaching. Yeah, uh, they, they gloss over that I pretty I think fast. in the pilot they call him a criminologist, like he's a crime professor. Yeah. But in later episodes they call him an animal behavioralist, which makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
And, um, and of course, oh, well, anyway, anyway, we'll get into it. But yeah. So Manimal is investigating. He's he's making himself out like a panther. He's investigating a gun smuggling ring. He stumbles across uh, Brooke McKenzie, who at the time is a, a sort of a beat cop. She's got a partner. Her partner gets shot uh, by those gun smugglers, and she sort of runs into the panther. And it's such a weird thing mm. uh, to run into that she ends up sort of investigating that and ends up discovering Manimal's secret. That's the basic plot of the episode. Also, um, a special guest star. Yeah. Well, Manimal's cab driver, uh. I want to talk about, uh, is Bert Rosario, who you may remember him as the fascist dictator from the 100 Lies of Blackjack Savage. <laughs> <laughs> the world is very small. But it turns out that the villain, the main villain of this episode, their big get uh. Uh, for the pilot, was Ursula Andress, the original Bond girl from Dr. No, Honey mm. Rider, um, who is. Fine. She doesn't have a lot to do. Well, she she brings some star power, but not much. She brings some star power, and she's she's still gorgeous. So they have her sort of slink around and like mm. expensive outfits. Um, yeah, but she's she's just she's, she's just the, there. She's the mastermind, and we know she has gravitas because we recognize her. That's yeah. essentially the only reason. Yeah. The, yeah. the 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 that, other that uh, the other recognizable person you may you, you probably don't know his name, but you would you might recognize him. Her big second in command is Terry Kaiser, who is perhaps best known as Bernie from Weekend at Bernie's. He played the corpse <laughs> in Weekend at Bernie's one and two. Very surprisingly fresh you know, in Weekend at Bernie's. In Weekend, too. In weekend, weekend at Bernie's, he was at least alive through the first act. That's so we true. got to know who he was. Yeah. And he did have to do all that corpse acting. No, so I'm sure that was g- fun. That's a tough gig. It's a tough gig. And especially right, Weekend yeah. at Bernie's 2, you play a dead man the entire time, but you're alive thanks to a special injection. There's a there's a voodoo spell. Think, Whenever there's music playing, he gets up and walks towards buried treasure. <laughs> That's Weekend at Bernie's 2. Weekend at Bernie's 2 sucks a lot. <laughs> Weekend at Bernie's 1 isn't very good. It's just better than you'd oh. think. Weekend at Bernie's 2 is fucking terrible. <laughs> We need to bring it back. We need to bring. We need to reboot Weekend at Bernie's. Yeah, there's a, there's a good bit they do in the first episode of Manimal that they repeat like four times over the course of these eight episodes, mm. uh, where Brooke, who has figured out that Simon McCorkendale is is Manimal, uh, runs into an animal, starts talking to him like he's Jonathan oh. Chase, and then Jonathan Chase walks in the room. And she realizes, oh shit, I've got a cobra in my yeah, hand. Yeah, like she she grabs a poisonous snake. And to her credit, she grabs a poisonous snake correctly. That's, yes. that's something you learn in Boy Scouts. If, mm-hmm. if you see a snake and you're fast enough, mm-hmm. I don't know why they teach this to your boys, but they do. Well, better to know it and not need it than vice versa. Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, I actually did grab a snake that way. Uh-huh. You, well, you get turns... right underneath the head, right? Uh, like... You, you, you c- come at it from behind, you grab your fingers around its neck, uh-huh. and your thumb on the back of its head. Yeah, so the head can't move around and bite you. Right, right, yeah. right. So it can thrash around all, you, all it wants to, can't but, hurt you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although what you do with it from there is as, a good question. As, as they say, well, <laughs> What's the next part of this plan? I don't really really know what to do. Uh, well, you, you milk it. Oh. If you push hard enough and you get its mouth open, you can you can uh, tip its fangs over the edge of a jar and you push and you can uh, milk the poison out. Delicious. Well, you don't drink it, silly. Well, why are we <laughs> called milking it? Milk is delicious. Oh, that's true. Like, I guess because you can't call it poisoning it. <laughs> um, <laughs> one of the things that bothers me about Manimal is sort of Brooke's portrayal because they don't really... It's frustrating because in the initial episode, she's very, I hate to use this word because it sounds a little reductive, mm. but she's played in sort of that, 
spunky female cop mm. mold. Well, she's it's, very, it's, it's, it's a fair, it's fair description. It's a, it's a description uh, that fits her because that's what they were casting at the time. She's very active. She's very go, go. I really want to, you know, be a part of this case. What's kind of ironic about it is two things. First off, she dresses like a school marm, especially in the first couple episodes. I, I was, I was going to bring that up. Her, yeah. she, she plays a beat cop, but we never see her in a uniform. And I think once, the first, don't we see her in like the first scene? Maybe like, the first scene really, really uniform, yeah. But after that, you know, she's but she doesn't ever dress professionally. She yeah. dresses in sundresses, like she's ready yeah. to go to, on a picnic. And, and, and she it's also ironic because you'd think like, oh, okay, well they're playing it up for TV. You'd think they'd dress her sexy or classy, and she just she looks like she's a Sunday school the, teacher. It's really weird. There's only one episode where she dresses differently, and it's the one where she's inexplicably undercover as a hooker. Yeah, and they dress her in sort of like '80s hooker outfit. She look, it looks like she's wearing Sigourney Weaver's dress from Ghostbusters after she's possessed. There you like, go. She, she just had that in her closet just <laughs> in case of, I was possessed. It's kind of drapey thing. You know yeah. You know that, that she brought that in. Like, oh, that yeah. wasn't in the costume department. Oh, yeah. Um, but the other thing that's weird about it is that she's the only female cop mm-hmm. that we see. And to their credit, they don't really treat her any different. Like, it's not like there's some sort of oppression or anything like that. It seems mm-hmm. like she's accepted at the forest. They respect that she's pretty good at her job. Even when she's saying crazy stuff, her boss is like, well, show me evidence. Yeah. You say there's a panther? I, I don't believe you. I, that's a hard sell, so you prove that there's a panther there, and I'll do it, and I'll give him credit for that. Okay. But it seems like kind of a wasted opportunity to put her in that sort of lower-ranking position, eager to please, mm. eager to eager to make her mark, and then not put any sort of opposition to it, and then ultimately team her up with Manimal, who is so capable that he's kind of condescending, and then not have her, like, mm. sort of fight back in sort of a moonlighting mold where it gets a little snarky. It's kind of annoying because there's a lot more potential there and they're both charismatic actors who could play off each other pretty well. Yeah, and in fact, if this was sort of just about a romance about these, like Mm. a a female cop, like like, or a couple, say where they're married. Mm -hmm. uh, Or at least dating or something, you know, like... the, the wife is a cop and the husband is not a cop, but he's a manimal. And... They have to fight crime together, and she, she's like sort of enlisting his help. I think that would be you know be an interesting power dynamic. You could get a whole you, you, you can get a whole you get a whole thin man thing going on in there. You could play with uh, that, but here's the thing: she's the one who's a real cop. Well, she's, and she's a real the one who's calling all the shots, and I'm like, I wish she would like assert herself. More. Well, in fact, his relationship with the police is never fully explained. He's uh, later in the I think in the final episode in the eighth episode mm-hmm. he finally says, "Well, I'm I'm like a special envoy to the police, or I'm I'm under he's, contract." He's a, He's a consultant. He's a consultant. Yeah, he's like a, he's a police consultant. Whenever, the there's a, whenever there is uh, a crime specifically involving an animal, they contact Jonathan Chase. But that's not the premise of the show. It should be. <laughs> like the like they, they brought this up right near the end of the show. It's like, well, why didn't no, you say that from the start? Oh, well, all right. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that's kind of frustrating because again, you have a concept that you just haven't fleshed out. He is a human being who turns into animals. Who has a special rapport with animals. Who studies animals. Make him more concerned about animals. I thought maybe he'd be like an animal activist. There's two episodes that we'll talk about. <laughs> where he, two episodes in a row, mm. where the whole point is someone has framed an animal for murder. Yeah. And he's the only one defending the animal. Mm-hmm. That's a premise. Yeah, that's a fun premise. I want to see that. Ani- that's great. Animal lawyer. Make that show. Uh, <laughs> but, lawyer mole. And, and, but of course that calls into question you say he has like a spe- he says he like has some sort of special connection to animals like he but he talks to cats in like the pilot episode like big jungle cats yeah but, but he just sort of talks to them you know when he turns into an animal it, it, does he like 
can he communicate with animals? Can he control animals? He's like Tarzan. Mm-hmm. Like, can he lead the animals on a strike? Wouldn't it he be does great in the pilot uh, episode? Would, wouldn't it be great if he did that every episode? If he like yeah. rallied the panthers? There's more to do with this premise. Like, play with that. It feels like they abandoned a couple ideas from the pilot. One mm. of the things that we see in the pilot is that at night there's a lot of like shots of the moon, and the implication is that an animal doesn't always have a lot of control over when he transforms into an animal. That's something they could have played with more, mm. and it might have made him a bit more sympathetic if he can transform into an animal a lot of the time, but maybe on a full moon he doesn't have a lot of control over it and he can actually like just sort of he has to be an animal Mm -hmm. there's a premise there you can play with it you can give him a little bit more to work with um in any case basically he teams up with brooke and they fight the bad guys the panther jumps through a plate glass window which is kind of cool it's a stained glass window stained glass window sorry and uh and they win and they win that's kind of it. The only other kind of fun thing about the episode... There's two fun things about the episode. One is one of my favorite tropes ever, which is when there's a homeless drunk guy stumbling around, and then he <laughs> sees, away. like... And sees he, the extraordinary thing, then throws away his bottle. Yeah, yeah, he sees, like, eight jungle cats, like, just prowling through Central Park or wherever the fuck they are, and then he just looks at his bottle and pours it out. Like, mm-hmm. that's... And he's gonna get his life together because of Manimal, and I like that. <laughs> um, the other thing is, the other guy who's involved in this sort of conspiracy is a corrupt colonel played by Ed Lauder, who played basically the exact same character in Real Genius. Uh, And he spends half the episode in a swimming pool, like floating in like an inner tube, taking calls on his cordless phone, which is Mm. hot shit in the early 80s. Uh, And it seems like he's going to get away with everything. Like he's he's, Mm. he's got away squeaky clean. Until the final scene. The final shot, like freeze frame, Manimal has turned into a shark and is in his swimming pool. Yeah. Which raises a lot of questions. Firstly, most Uh. importantly... Did he, did he get in the pool and then transform? That would have had to have been the thing. In which case the guy is, well, okay, raises more than, it raises a lot of questions. Uh, there's that, which Uh-oh. means the guy is really unobservant because it takes an animal quite a while to transform. Secondly, pools are chlorinated. That shark is dead. Uh, he's manimal. He has the brain of a man. He has he human has, intelligence. But he still has to breathe through those gills. He hold, he's holding his breath. Okay, lastly, <laughs> here's the question. If manimal turns into a shark and eats a person, is he a cannibal? Cannibal. Can't, yeah, he's, is he a cannibal? Yes, he's yeah. a cannibal. Yeah, he, he's a cannibal. He's eating people. He's e- he's eating. Well, he didn't he necessarily really cross the line there. You know, you know? The, well, you know the way sharks kill is they bite, they wait for their victims to bleed out, and then they eat. So maybe he just bit the guy, waited for him to bleed out, and left. He's still ta- he's still really taking the law into his own. He killed a guy. Yeah, the the implication like, really is that dark. he turned into a shark and killed a guy. Now we don't actually see the shark. We have a prop fin. Yeah, it's, it's a jaws <laughs> moment. It's and the, still great. And the fin is like far too large to fit. Like a fin that size would be on a shark too big to fit in that pool. It's it's like a but megalodon's whatever. fin. Like it's huge. There's so many questions that come up with <laughs> the animal. <laughs> There's a lot. There's a lot of questions. Yeah, like the, they say he can turn into any animal. Okay, I understand you have a budget and you can only turn into like the one panther you have and the one hawk you have. That's fine. That's I'm, mostly what we got. That's mostly what we got. Okay, he can't turn into you know an elephant every episode. They don't have an elephant every episode. He can't turn into an echidna. They don't have an echidna. Well, it doesn't make sense to do that every episode, right? You know? Like, yeah. So if he can turn into any animal, like any animal, can he turn into animals that he's only seen in books? Can he can he only turn into animals that like he's touched? I got the impression he, he has to have been near them. 
He like, has to have, like, studied them or, okay. like, you know, formed a connection with them. Because there's one point when he turns into Ursula Andress's cat, and by the way, gets all up in her cleavage. So, and wouldn't, Manimal's a creeper. Wouldn't you? No, that's creepy. He's the hero. <laughs> it's weird. So I got the impression if he's, like, next to an animal, he can do that, but then he's, like, got it in his wheelhouse. And okay. he can do it again. But then, again, they never really clarify then, yeah, it, so who knows. We don't know what the rules of Manimal are. Well, if he can turn into other animals, can he turn into other people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. People are animals. Can he turn? Well, into, I don't think, can he turn into an invertebrate? He, he never does that. He, he can turn into a bacterium. He can, he can turn into like, a person. He can turn into Simon McCorkendale. Yeah, I think if he turns into a panther, it's not. Well, it's the always problem, the same panther. It's always the same panther. But the thing is, if he turns into a cat, like it, only by coincidence could he turn into the same cat as Ursula Andress's cat. Like she happens to That's turn. Pretty thin. She happens to turn. He happens to turn into the the one type of cat that she happens. to I own. think we may have found the one flaw in animal. The one flaw. <laughs> Episode two of Manimal, mm. Illusion, is kind of a fun one. It's a Siegfried and Roy episode. Yeah. Uh, one, Sadly, no white tigers, because I'm no. sure that was co- copywritten. But, but, yeah. but uh, there's a couple of stage magicians mm. uh, who and have... And there's a, the legendary, mm. the bad guy in this episode. Well, there's two great bad guys in this episode. All right. Well, the, the, I'm talking about Richard Lynch. Richard Lynch, <laughs> who you will know from Invasion USA, which if you haven't seen Invasion USA... Holy shit! Best he's, Chuck Norris movie ever. He's the bad. He, he's the bad guy in uh, Invasion USA. He's the bad guy in Puppet Master Three. Yes, also best Puppet Master movie. Uh, arguably, I would argue it. I, I, I like fair. I like the second better, but I'm, I'm in the those minority. Are the, those are the two best ones for sure. Okay, uh, <laughs> the, rest, the rest are all garbage. Richard Lynch was also uh, in The Sword and the Sorcerer, which is the best Albert Pune movie ever made. <laughs> Albert Pune is like up there with Ed Wood as one of the worst filmmakers ever. But he made one good movie. It's The Sword and the Sorcerer. <laughs> <laughs> which is this really sleazy, oversexed, ultra-violent Conan knockoff, which also happens to co-star Simon McCorkendale. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, so it's kind of right. weird. But the other villain, that original uh, uh, Lynch's henchman mm-hmm. in this one, is played by the great David Hess. Oh, that's right, yes. From The Last House on the left, mm-hmm. uh, directed by Wes Craven, and there'll be another Wes Craven connection later in the series. But basically, the magicians were smuggling something... You know, the, 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 the stories are just vanishing from my head. Like, I just, just watched this over, over the, the week. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the actual crimes committed are so, like, nondescript and uninteresting. Oh, oh that, and uh, uh, Richard Lynch plays the Bulgarian ambassador who the, plays the Lethal Weapon 2 diplomatic immunity card before se- everyone knew that plot point. Se- and several times throughout the episode, in fact. Yeah. It's like, what are you doing at this crime scene? He doesn't even say anything. You're just going to play that diplomatic immunity card and just has a smug expression on his face. And you can just see, like, Shane Black, like, taking notes while watching <laughs> <laughs> like, mm, that's a good one. I'm going to use that someday. Shane Black has definitely seen Manimal. <laughs> I can guarantee you that Shane Black has seen Manimal. Yeah. Um, so basically, one of the magicians is killed by their, mm. I think it's a lion. And yet, everyone says, oh, well, it's cut and dry. The animal killed him, which, mm. of course, years later, Siegfried and Roy would fall victim to a very similar thing. But, uh, but Manimal the, says, oh, no, it's impossible because of the claw marks and blah. Mm, and he, the, has to, uh, he has to well, save the lion's good name. Uh, so, well, good for him. He wants to defend that yeah, lion. It's actually fine. And, like, and like there's the, the actual bit of investigative work they do is, you know, they look at the claw marks on the body mm-hmm. and they say, well, animals don't claw that way. And we learn that the bad, the bad guys have, like, a claw. Yeah. <laughs> Just in case, and yeah, like like they open they oh, at one point they like open a secret compartment and there's like lions in it. Like yeah. I, I recall in that episode, they they have like lo- like taxidermied lions 
just oh, sort yeah. of stashed away. Yeah. So they then, can use the claws as murder weapons. Yeah, and he like smuggles himself in as a dead cat, but then wakes up mm. and then like attacks everybody, and it's kind of fun. <laughs> a little bit of a little bit of uh, uh, Schadenfreude there for mm. those bad guys. Or poetic justice. Well, was was this the episode, yeah, where he like he poses like I think this is the episode. He turns into the panther and like, like poses as the still seriously, panther. Seriously, like there's highlights in every episode of Manimal where it's like, oh, that's kind of cool. But mm. the majority, like 90% of every episode, is just drab. <laughs> drab, uh, pointless. Yeah. I don't I don't want drab. I want dreck. I want schlock. <laughs> I want I want I love that distinction. That's a great distinction. I love that. I don't want drab, I want dreck. And I I, I stand by that statement. <laughs> that's gonna be on one of our t-shirts when we do a Patreon. <laughs> I don't want Drav. I want Drek. I, I want this... <laughs> or just Drek, like an arrow with that like implies it's greater than Drav. Drek better than Drav because yeah. this is such a, a kind of, frankly, a stupid idea for a show. Yeah. The, the oh, it's, guy, it's a wonderful the guy, idea. The guy who that. works, the guy who can turn into animals works for the cops. This needs to be 30 minutes long and it needs to have like just stupid standard sitcom plots and they need to ring this for every like animal pun they possibly could. Right. They need it to, to be dumb. It would be well, enjoyable if it was dumb. And it's they're trying to go for something kind of classy and legit. And it's not working because it's manimal. You know, there was there was a time when, um, like in the early 2000s, when they were mining a lot of these older cop and adventure shows. Not for, like, serious remakes, but for mm. kind of jokey remakes. And we're getting that a little bit. Like, 21 Jump Street did it, but it elevated it to another level. Mm. We're talking, like, the Starsky and Hutch with Ben Stiller right, and Owen Wilson. Right. I Spy with Owen Wilson and Eddie Murphy, where they're just kind of goofy larks. Yeah. Oh, the, how uh, funny things the, were back the, then. The trend all started with the Brady Bunch movie, which was a kind of a different animal. Which but, was yeah. a very different ma- animal or manimal. And, uh, but Manimal is in the pipeline. Manimal, well, supposedly, they've been working on a movie version of Manimal mm. uh, for a while. We haven't heard from it basically since it was announced. Which was um, back in like 2012 or something. It was, it was a while ago, ago, yeah. Like, like Glenn A. Larson, who has since passed on, was was working on it at the time. Mm. Um, and I want to say... I wanna, the last uh, I heard, it was going to be an animated film. Mm-hmm. Produced by it, Will Ferrell and Adam yeah, McKay. Yeah, it was going to be a Will Ferrell and Adam McKay. Yeah, like the guys that did think, Anchorman. And that's probably the best way to do this. It's, the, it's really the only way to do this. Nowadays, I'm, actually, I'm actually a little embarrassed that they're doing the joke approach to, the, to Chips. Because Chips, Chips is... I mean, it's a Chips little, was fine. I mean, it, it's it, kind it of funny all, that you're making a big deal out of Highway Patrol, but you can get a real movie out of that. Uh, absolutely, a buddy cop movie. Why not? It, it, also, the show was already had kind of a comic tone. Just do that. It's yeah. fine. You don't have to make fun of Chips, dude. Stop making fun of Chips. <laughs> I'm tired of your chips bashing. Stop bashing chips. <laughs> chips was the best. <laughs> Saving the freeway from assholes. <laughs> anyway, they save the day and they, they uh, 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 help the lion get uh, off and, of its and, legal defense. And, and the lion is defended. In the All next right. one, a spider. <laughs> yes, a spider is framed for murder. In episode three, Night of the Scorpion, oh. which is kind of ironic uh, because it's a spider who gets framed for the murder. <laughs> Why? Well, and, and the spider doesn't even kill a guy. Like, it's not yeah. it's like they, they it, the opening scene, they're injecting a guy with truth serum that can be fatal if you give him too much and they give him too much and he dies. Yeah. And they have a spider like they have a box. We don't actually see the spider. It's like, oh, I guess we don't need the spider. He's got this little box with poison in it. I'm like, oh, it's the gum jabbar, <laughs> which is a dune reference. Yeah. Uh, take a drink anytime Whitney makes a dune reference. <laughs> 
So, yeah, they, they have this spider that's not guilty of anything, and yet they're trying to pin the death on the spider, nonetheless. Yeah, which is a terrible birthday party game. <laughs> pin, pin, <laughs> How pin can we frame a spider for murder? <laughs> um, yeah, so at the beginning of the, movie, uh, beginning of the episode, mm. uh, is it Doug McClure who's, like, the, the spy at the beginning? No, Doug McClure is, like, the guy who's, like, the corrupt spy. Yeah. I'm hazy on Doug McClure. He's, he's, I'm, I was more of a Troy Donahue guy. Um, in any case, <laughs> you a, would be. A spy is given a truth serum, mm. and they're trying to get this information about, about where he hid this stolen embezzled money. Yeah, it was two, um, $2 million in cash. Yeah. And this actually had a clever, like, actual police investigation thing. Yeah, there's some cool stuff in here. Like, it turns out he's actually, like, allergic to truth serum. and that. Uh, well, he's allergic to him. truth serum. Uh, his daughter is written into the will. Like, he, she inherits this money, but they don't know where it is. Or they don't know where it came from, either. Like, uh, hey, yeah. where did this guy get $2 million? Mm-hmm. And there's a bit of, like, there's a there's a message written to her that's written kind of weirdly, so you know it's code for something. Yeah, and But it turns out that corresponds to a message that was written on one of the $100 bills in a yeah. suitcase full of cash. Like, in, in the Serial numbers, basically. Yeah. Like, that's the clue, yeah. That's kind of in- that's, innovative. That's kind of clever. I haven't like seen it, that before. And it's fine, yeah. what, what, And it, what it means is that the people are looking for this... It's a suitcase full of $2 million in cash. Yeah. And they don't want the $2 million in cash. So the, the suitcase is getting passed around. They're opening it up. They're yeah. constantly looking at this big pile of money. And nobody's taking any like, of it. It's, it's like two MacGuffins at once. They yeah. think the MacGuffin is the money, but the MacGuffin is actually, like, the secret code in the money. Uh-huh. And it turns and out... And they're that, able like, to sort of track down by using the serial number. Mm-hmm. Which is, it's, it's not unclever, and they, they, uh, Manimal and Ty and Brooke, they end up going to, like, the Caribbean, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm not sure how they have jurisdiction down there, but okay, uh, in order to help her figure out, like, was my father a, 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 a spy who had gone over to the other side and embezzled money from the government, or was his boss did it? His boss did it. And, uh, <laughs> like, as soon as you see, like, oh, it's that mm-hmm. guy, okay, fine, yeah. Um... And uh, at one point, Manimal turns into an elephant for some reason. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and uh, breaks a thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, they... S- oh, and Ty gets to limbo. Badly. Oh, don't mention that. Ty just... Again, all he does is like oh, sort of geez. look at ladies and not do anything. And at one point, he limbos. He, he leers and limbos. Yeah. <laughs> leers and limbos sounds That's, like a terrible role-playing game. Or, or it sounds like a show we should be covering on this. <laughs> Leers and limbos, they're cops. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is there any, he, he's, point, su- he's such a pusillanimous character. It just, just has nothing to do. It's just sad. And honestly, by this point, I was really getting annoyed at their treatment of Brooke. Because again, Melanie Anderson is a fun mm. actor. She has At this point in the series, it feels like either she's Jonathan Chase's secretary. Like, she takes notes for him. Mm. Which is like, that's not my fucking job. <laughs> or, and this is like the, the, the philosophy that me and my wife came up with. At this point, um, Manimal is actually Brooke's cat. <laughs> like, he thinks he's in charge, uh-huh. even though by all rights he shouldn't be, and she just has stopped fighting it. Okay. <laughs> he's just like, fine, yes, mm-hmm. I'll, 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 I'll feed you the ego gratification you need, it makes my day mm-hmm. easier. Like, but you're very good looking. Is, and occasionally I get to pet you. To be fair, uh, Simon McCorkendale is, and, and this needs to be said, he's an incredibly charismatic actor. He deserved a better he, series than he, plays the part very well. He dashes into scenes in these very nice mm-hmm. very nice suits and he actually kind of takes up a room. 
he walks into the room. Everybody kind of turns and looks at him. He's not necessarily like uh, like Army Hammer. You know, he's not. No, he's not. Se- he's not sex bomb, but he's sexy. He, he's, he's like he's got like a Roger Moore kind of thing going. Exactly. Like, yeah, so he's, I, he's, I he's think attractive. his charm goes a long way to explain Manimal. Because they cast such a charismatic actor that they put him on the cam- on, on camera, and you're good with watching him throughout the length of the scene. Yeah. So even though the premise is dumb and the plots are difficult to follow and are dull, you're at least capable of watching this show largely because of Simon McCorkendale's just natural charm. And Melanie Anderson, which is why it's frustrating that she doesn't have more to do. Yeah. Well, she's and, really great. And, and again, she's his contact within the police. I want to see more of that sort of intermediary action. Yeah. I want to see her going to the police and asking permission, actually doing police work with the real police to aid Manimal. Yeah. You know, so there's like two avenues of investigation going on in every episode, but we don't have that. We just see Manimal. Right. In episode four, female of the species. This is, is the wild child episode. Yes, the episode in which a young woman uh, was raised by wolves mm. and is brought over to America to be studied by one of uh, Manimal's fellow professors. Manimal finds this uh, repugnant. He thinks that uh, she's being exploited. Um, oh, by the way, one last thing about the spider episode, which kind of bothers me at the end oh, yeah. of the episode. Uh, Manimal, like... Rather than reveal state secrets, Manimal lets the spider take the fall for murder. Now it says, oh, yes, it was a spider all along. And I'm like, dude, fuck Manimal, come on. You have one job. What's to clear the spider's good name? I know the spider's dead, but, like, (laughs) that doesn't really help. It doesn't really help the cause. I mean, think about that spider's reputation. Think about that spider's family. He... (laughs) It's millions of he's children. Got, yeah, he's, he's got 3,000 children it's to think about. It's a tarantula, by the way. They're not that poisonous. It's like if you got bit by a house cat. Like, you know, you just get a shot. You're fine. Like, <laughs> tarantulas are big, hairy, and scary. Yeah, They're scary true. looking. They're just not that dangerous. Um, and in this episode, I thought he would actually be, like, kind of defending the wolves. Like, hey, listen, the wolves took really good care of her. Uh-huh. Why can't we take this woman, this this young woman back to her loving adopted family who took really good care of her? The wolves. <laughs> and, of course, he, he ends up helping train yeah, that, her to become more human. And it, I'm it just was, like, yeah. Well, you know, that it's you've seen Truffaut's The Wild Child, right? I actually haven't seen that one. Okay. It's it's really good. Okay. Uh, and there's a lot of sort of Wild Child, Sheena, mm-hmm. H. Ryder Haggard's she stories out there in the world. Yeah, uh, the Enigma of uh, Casper House. Werner Herzog movie, yeah, yeah. Also, known and, as, and, also uh, has my, my favorite alternate title ever, which is "Every Man for Himself and God Against All." <laughs> That's a very Herzogian title, isn't it? Just, um, but yeah, the, the whole premise of all of these things is we must civilize them. How, mm. how, do, how do we take this person out of the wild and mm. introduce them to civilization? Yeah, no point. And, anyone ever say maybe they're better off? Yeah, no one ever says just put them back in the wild, let them let them <laughs> live out their days with the wolves. They're they clearly seem fine. Yeah, they're happy. What the hell? Um, what's funny about this episode is that this episode was written by, uh, co-writers Michael Beck, or Michael Burke, sorry, and Douglas Michael Michael Beck? He wrote an episode? (laughs) That'd be cool. It was Michael Burke and Douglas Schwartz, uh, who had a very long career, uh, writing in television. They wrote the same episode three times. (laughs) For three different TV shows. Yeah, and many of which apparently we have, we're gonna, and here's the thing. All of them only lasted one season. Yep. We're going to get to all of them. Mm. They wrote the same Wild Child episode and apparently even used some of the same dialogue for the show's Thunder in Paradise with Hulk Hogan and mm. a superboat and The Wizard about a little person toy maker who solves mysteries. Mm. We're going to get to both of those uh, shows. The, the Wizard was only three years after Manimal, so if yeah. you were paying attention to Manimal, you'd probably 
you were probably a probably also watching the wizard. Uh-huh. And secondly, you'd you'd recognize it. Uh, but here's here's the thing: we're talking about Manimal on this show. No one was paying attention to Manimal. <laughs> well, my point is, I the, think they figured no one would literally the, no one would ever see Manimal the again. Pe- the people who were watching Manimal, yeah. the few fans, as somebody who's watched a lot of canceled shows, yeah. they they do have their fans. They, they have passionate defenders. They, There's a reason we're still talking about Manimal to this day because we have a podcast. No, no, I think it's because. It, a, a, it's notoriously it is. bad, but I'm sure it has its defenders. It does, it and does. God uh, only knows there are why. probably young, there are probably some ten year olds who thought Manimal <laughs> was the bee's knees. He never it, turned it, into a bee, never, but he should have. He has bee's knees. <laughs> in any case, Manimal uh, turns and, out, and they, that, a kid like that is probably going on three years later to mm. continue to watch something like The Wizard. That yeah. seems like it would be that kid's anyway. Anyway, anyway, this episode Manimal continues. It turns out that the young woman's parents were wealthy. And that they were killed by people who want to take control of their company. But now that she's alive, she's, she's the heir the to the heiress, fortune. Yeah. There's a bit of intrigue. It's okay. Uh, the only other kind of notable thing is mm. that we find out that at one point, Jonathan Chase brought home a snake charmer uh, to entertain him and Ty by apparently having sex with a snake. Okay. Thanks, Manimal. Okay. Uh, episode five. Yeah. If, if Manimal has sex with an animal when he's in animal form. I think it's fine. Well... That's not bestiality. It's fine. It's fine. But if he impregnates that animal, is he? He's technically like the father of like a panther, like a panther cub. Huh? Is the panther cub also a man? Is it an animan? We might have to talk about this when we get to Nightman. <laughs> All right, episode five. Mm-hmm. High stakes is the horse racing episode mm-hmm. where uh, the people have stolen like a thoroughbred awesome racing horse mm-hmm. and they have disguised it as another horse so <laughs> that they can rig a horse race. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Manimal has to go undercover occasionally as a horse uh, in order to mm-hmm. stop this rather weirdly elaborate crime. It's a, Yeah, it, it seems like just swapping out horses would be enough, but there's like all these other weird elements to it. What's kind of cool about this one is there's one bit where literally no other show on television could have done it. There's uh, the distraction that they have, so they can swap out the horses. This this they, is like the one really great action. This sequence is a superhero of the series, yeah. Uh, someone they're they're doing like in order to entertain the masses at the horse race, they're doing a skydiving presentation, and someone shoot doesn't open. It's been sabotaged. That's mm. the idea. Manimal turns into a hawk, flies up to that, releases like the emergency chute, uh-huh. and then they're just like, wow, what a great show! Who would have thought that this was a such tra- a, la- a trained hawk would go yeah. up and open the parachute? Uh, like, that would be totally awesome! But like, this is some rocketeer type shit. This is actually kind of cool. Like, and they actually, you know, they have someone, they did some aerial stuff. Uh-huh. It looks pretty neat, honestly. Like, that's a good mm-hmm. bit. And, and the actors actually skydove, which I always yeah. appreciate. Like, they, they actually have the, like, the cameraman jump out the plane, and we yeah. see the faces of the actors as they jump out of the plane. Yeah, it's... I like aerial stuff. Yeah, they they they, they threw some money mm. at that, and good for them. Well, I don't know, I'm not sure if they threw money at it. Well, skydiving they spent pretty... some, anyway. Coleman Francis made a movie about skydivers, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> and he never had any money. <laughs> There's a bit where uh, Brooke gets to ride Jonathan Chase as a horse, and I just wish they had sort of played with that dynamic a bit more yeah, because yeah. there's something really there's something kind of hot about that you know the relationship between young mm. women and horses and uh, um, that's sort of so, it, representing freedom but also that just very muscly masculinity yeah like yeah. You, you, they really could have played up the sexiness of Brooke's relationship with Manimal with the animals like at least as at least metaphorically I realize mm. you're going to an area a lot of people wouldn't be comfortable with but like he's Manimal 
<laughs> like if they ended up dating, you know, like at one point he would say, "Incidentally, I could be anything you want." Brooks like, "Whoa, whoa, well maybe." Like you know, like <laughs> you know, like they're gonna talk about it. It's gonna be weird. <laughs> I'm just saying, you, you, they raise the question. I can turn into a gerbil. Oh God! You started it. You finished it. <laughs> um, the, ne- the next episode is uh, the one with it, which has a uh, tr- it has a treasure map in it. Oh, this, uh, this is, is stupid. This is it's called Scrimshaw, oh, and a, a, a scr- they're uh, on the hunt for I think it's a walrus tusk. Yeah, Scrimshaw is a walrus tusk that, that has, has stuff been, carved. That has been car- it. yeah, has carvings on it, and it turns out the one they're after has a. Quite literally, a treasure map. Mm-hmm. Now this is like now. Now we're into like Saturday morning cartoon nonsense. Oh, there's quicksand in this there, episode. There's, there's not there's only quicksand. There's buried treasure, and it's in like an old fashioned like pirate chest. Yeah, like it's in a big old fashioned wooden chest, and yeah, there's quicksand. They have to traverse a quicksand beach. Yeah, it's uh, what what is even there's, there's like a name for the the secret to the treasure of Topaz Island, which you're just like, oh god damn it, come on. So they happen to be on an island, like Jonathan Chase is doing some research in tide pools, which mm. by the way, I'd love to see him have to like go undercover as a sea urchin or or, or hermit crab. <laughs> Uh, and they come across like a long dead body. It's got a scrimshaw on it with mysterious mm. markings. Uh, for whatever reason, Jonathan Chase has a rambunctious young tyke living with him, and his old oh, like God, like, I hate this character. Like, like he's oh. and like Keenan Wynn, who you'll know from everything if you watched mo- like movies and TV in the fifties, sixties, mm. and seventies. Uh, um, most notable role, I think, was the the grumpy army general in Doctor Strangelove. Yeah, the, the one who shot the Coke machine. You're gonna have to answer to the Coca Cola Company. Oh yeah, that was Keenan Wynn. I forgot about that. Yeah, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I was trying to think. I knew it was in Doctor Strange, but I couldn't remember who he played. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's he, he was I that thought, guy. I thought maybe he was on the plane. No, you're absolutely <laughs> right. That's great. <laughs> that scene's fucking funny. <laughs> um, but he plays like an old sailor who's got like a bunch of stories. But he plays him like a wacky prospector type. Like, <laughs> you know like, what? Is- <laughs> Keenan Wynn had like four types. All right. <laughs> You hire Keenan Wynn because you want Keenan Wynn. You don't hire Keenan Wynn because you want a chameleonic actor. You get that 1970s character face. Never noticed that 1970s character actors yeah. all had that similar kind of grizzled face. Yeah, they were very craggy. Craggy yeah. was a good word. Craggy. Uh, in any case, he knows that the secret of the treasure of Topaz Island and <laughs> other people are after the treasure of Topaz Island. Uh, but the, the and then they're all after the scrimshaw. The scrimshaw has clues to the treasure of Topaz Island. Um, at one point, they throw Jonathan Chase out of a plane and they assume he's dead. And later on, he shows up again and he has no explanation, like not even a bullshit excuse. He's just like, I'll tell you later. I'm going to take you up on that. I want to know how you survived. I pushed you out of a plane with no parachute. What happened? Yeah, how are you alive? I'd well, be fascinated. Was it like in Batman where there's just a foam rubber sail and you'll just land on a big pile? Anyway, um, oh, and but so the, at, yeah, one the, point, the, at one point, at one point, Brooke falls into quicksand. And Jonathan Chase turns into a long python mm-hmm. uh, so that Ty can use the snake as a rope to get her out. And I'm like, that snake is just split in half. Yeah, snake, And, okay. like, spewed guts everywhere. They're not a, that tensile. A, a snake is not made of rope, all right? A snake <laughs> is made of muscle and guts and bone. Muscle and blood and skin and bone. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you use a rope as a snake that... A, a rope as a snake. You use yeah. a snake as a rope, and that snake is going to rip in half. Why did he not turn into a strong animal with a long trunk, perhaps? Yeah, that like could he's pull already out. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, and I guess there's also a cool doom buggy chase, and that's about it. 
there's a cool dune buggy chase. That's I, about the whole size. I, of it. I'm really glad that the young Ward character did mm-hmm. not. First of all, he's 12, oh. so they try to so play he him he off as knows everything. yeah, like, so yeah, yeah. He's a little know-it-all, and he's also fancies himself a ladies' man, and I just want to throttle the bastard. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm glad he wasn't he wasn't brought back. Yeah. And uh, then we only have one final episode. No, there's there's two. Oh, there's two. There's two. There's bears. Oh, right, the there's dragon, th- and then there's the, the. I'm sorry. The magical bear episode. I forgot about the kung fu episode. Oh yeah. So again, this was after this was in the early '80s. People mm-hmm. were still kind of reeling from the Bruce Lee revolution, and most adventure shows at one point or another had an episode mm-hmm. in which the characters dealt with kung fu catastrophes. Uh, the Hardy Boys did this, and of course, mm-hmm. Manimal did it. And uh, what was lame about these is, of course, they deal in really terrible stereotypes. The kung fu oh, usually yeah. is very good, but what was good about it there's at least a silver lining which is it gave a lot of Chinese actors a lot of work and which is why we have a lot of really good Chinese actors in this episode like the great and currently, like eighty-eight-year-old, still going strong, James Hong. James, James Hong. You've seen playing, James Hong. He's been playing an old man since the seventies. He's always fucking awesome. Mm. James Hong as the was probably best known as uh, the bad guy from Big Trouble, Trouble in Little China. China. Yeah, J- yeah. And J- some of his Big Trouble in Little China <clears throat> co-stars are also in this episode. Well, because there were only so many Asian actors who could find work at the time. Yeah, not consistently. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It, it, but yeah, the, the f- it's so lame because it, the fact that Asians were always depicted the same. Yeah, you know, like they were getting a lot of work, but they were always playing the same damn characters. They yeah. were always wearing the same outfits. They either ran restaurants or laundries, and they were <laughs> yeah, they were they were always uh, kind of provided a weird, very. Uh, Western rendition of Eastern wisdom that was kind of demeaning. And was always and they were always the, the women were always like gorgeous but inscrutable, mm-hmm. and they always had magical elixirs of some sort. Well, not in this one, but it but, happened uh, a lot. And this one is fucking lame because not only does Jonathan Chase get involved, and look, you want to say like there's like a a, a gang causing trouble in Chinatown, mm. you can play that off. There's a there's a plot there. Uh, you want to say that Jonathan Chase has to learn kung fu in one day. To fight a kung fu master, to show all the Chinese people that it's okay to fight back when there's evil, and you just want to punch this show in the face. <laughs> like, I know this wasn't unique to the time period. It's still really shitty. So, and here, here's a missed opportunity. This is the episode where Manimal turns into a, an ox. He turns into a... No, it's an ox, not a bull. Yeah. Uh, he He's turns, got a doolap. He turns, yeah. in, turn, turns into an oxen. And... Uh, in order to sort of clear a room of bad guys. He mm-hmm. just turns into an ox and starts flashing around. Yeah, they're surrounded by Kung around. Fu masters. He turns into an ox. It's a, it's a yeah. cool bit, yeah. They're in Chinatown. They have a bull-like object. Why is there not a bull in a China shop? There should have been a bull in a China <laughs> shop. You cl- you can see that's where the you can see that's where the writers wanted to go. They wanted to have a bull charge through a china shop, that's but sad. a they probably couldn't afford to break all that sad. prop china. And secondly, there's a, there's a <laughs> they one, couldn't get an actual bull. They could only get an ox. There's so. one funny there's 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 one funny bit in this, mm. um, which is you wouldn't even know. From watching it, unless you had also seen the show Auto Man, which we will eventually get to on this Th- show. This I learned from Wikipedia, because yeah, I wouldn't have, wouldn't have been able to spot this. Auto Man and Manimal take place in the same universe, because there's, an, there's a scene just outside uh, outside a restaurant mm. uh, that is in Manimal that we see from another perspective in Auto Man. Yep. There was, they were filmed at the same time. And there was just supposed to be a little so, yeah. gag. If so you we watched see, both, it was kind of fun. We see Auto Man wander past a window, mm-hmm. and in an episode of Auto Man, we see him wander past that same window with Simon McCorkendale mm-hmm. inside. So, yeah. That's fun. They don't interact, but we see them in the same frame. Yeah. 
That's cute. That's cute. That's that's fun. It's, it's, it's a joke for, fra- it's for fans. A, but it, it's in there and good for yeah. them. That's that's not unclever. In any case, um, the, I mean, th- these days that would mean you know an entire deep connection into an entire new universe. But in, yeah. in any case, the Chinese actors deserve more dignity. The episode's kind of forgettable, and it's really offensive that Manimal kind of shows Chinese people how it's how their culture is done. So let's yeah. move on. The last episode, <laughs> you're, you're is, not being Chinese enough. Allow me, yeah. Simon McCorkendale. The last official episode of Manimal is Night of the Beast, in which Jonathan. Ty and Brooke go on vacation and end up thwarting a like a small town conspiracy to build a casino uh, you know by what? him turning into a magical bear that's a local legend um. and also turning moonshine into Molotov cocktails of the person who makes the moonshine starts running up a tab for every time they throw one, which I thought was kind of funny. That's kind of, there, there was actually one bit of physical humor that made me laugh out loud. Okay. Um, where our three main characters are, you know, they're all dressed, they're all on vacation, mm-hmm. they're standing by a road, and they're, they're I think their car's broken down, or they're, they're just Their walking. car broke down. Their yeah. car broke down, and they're, they're sort of, they have all their baggage with it's, them. It's the crappy vacation and, episode, and we wandered into adventure. Right, and, and they're, they're, thumbing, they're trying to thumb a ride. A car comes speeding by, it's like, oh, here comes a car. They get splashed with mud and they're covered with dirt like oh man that's terrible and then another car comes by splashes them somehow with clean water and (laughs) cleans them off and they say well that was lucky (laughs) and then just to put a cherry on another car comes by and splatters them with mud again that's hilarious it's a good bit. It's this, a really funny bit. It's one of the shots that's in like the the credits. It's like something out of a Zucker Brothers movie. This episode's really forgettable. The only other notable thing is the other West Craven connection we're talking about is that one of the bad guys is played by a young Robert England, whose name is misspelled in the credits. Robert England. <laughs> oh, um, uh, what, maybe at the time that's what he was going. There was for. another. There was another actor in that episode whose last name was England. E N G L A N D. Okay. Robert England's last name is spelled E N G L U N D. Robert England, of course, co-starred in the Casualty Soon series Nightmare Cafe, and of course, you know him as Freddy Krueger from the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. The, this was uh, when was V? Because I think V was his big break. V. I think was V was around bef- the same time. I think V was slightly before this. So this was uh, what he did in between V and a Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. He he still hadn't had like a really really great uh, uh, episode yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but. But, uh, but yeah, this episode's just kind of there. It, it's, it's, it's nothing really to it's it, like really. The, dull, uh, the pilot, the first and the last are kind yeah. of the dullest episodes. It's an inauspicious conclusion to Manimal. Like, it's not even a particularly okay uh, Manimal. Um, no, I got no nothing secrets else. revealed? No, nothing really. Just pretty generic. Mm. Pretty flat. Uh, and that was it for Manimal for 15 years. Before we move on to Nightman, there's one last thing I want to talk about that bugged the crap out of me in Manimal in every episode. Manimal has three credit sequences at the beginning. There's well, there's every episode, the episode begins opens with, with kind of like a preview of what's to come of which, the episode you're about to see, which was more common back then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just basically, hey, don't miss it. Look at all the cool stuff that's coming on this week's mm-hmm. Manimal, um, which again came from a different era of television when you were trying to grab everyone right away. Mm-hmm. Um, then there is the credits, which uh, we used the commercial we played earlier in the episode from Shout Factory used that bit to sort of explain the premise. Well, and then and then oh, sorry, that and then they explained the premise for like another minute. So it takes like five minutes for. Every well, episode of Manimal yeah, gets started. There's the title sequence, which you have the theme song, yeah. it lists the, the actors. But yeah, but then we have a narration kind of explaining what yeah. Manimal is. because it takes forever to get to Manimal. I guess, you know, they got William Conrad, like, on yeah. discount, perhaps? It's like... Uh, <laughs> Got now, William Conrad, Conrad another from police squad. William Conrad <laughs> one the, was in one of the well, guest stars killed in police squad. Well, f- from Gunsmoke, really, but uh, yes. William, but he was also a famous uh, narrator. He narrated Rocky and Bullwinkle, and he was hilarious on that. Yeah, and. Uh, 
I, I learned about William Conrad. Like, I learned his name from Mystery Science Theater. Yeah. Because <laughs> he did a, a series of, commer- like, local commercials for this thing called First Alert. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, which was, yeah, it was like a home alarm system back before that was common. Mm. And, and they, did, they did a gag about what if did. William Conrad broke into your house and started <laughs> raiding your fridge. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they brought that, those First Alert ads up all the time on Mystery Science Theater. It's like, what is First Alert? I had no, like, I had to look yeah. it up. Oh, I've seen it. I remembered it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm William Conrad from First Alert. So 15 years later later uh there was a television series called nightman i do not want to spend too much time on nightman i know that bothers you but give everyone the basic gist of what nightman is oh but i I know the whole history of the comic give us the gist of it okay um uh, a, a, a small comic book company called Malibu Comics decided to start their launch their own superhero universe in the mid nineties. It was around ninety four, and uh, they came up with a, a whole slew of characters all at once. Most of them were Marvel knockoffs. Um, Nightman got an enchanted piece of metal lodged in his skull. Never mind how, <laughs> and this uh, gave him permanent night vision. It cut off his need for sleep, and uh, kind of made him hyper aware. And he decided to sort of take to the streets in homemade armor to fight crime. Okay. Uh, they adapted this for television in 1997. Lasted two seasons. Uh, lasted two seasons. Uh, it was a little bit more cartoony on TV. It's a stupid um, looking show. It, like, they, they gave him, like, a much more cartoonish looking outfit. Oh, it's Batman. Yeah, it's rubbery. Could, it's got, like, a chest yes. pressed into it, so it looks like he always has abs. Yeah, he has, like, super armor now and a big blue cape. He has an eye laser. And he can He's, fly in this version. And he has which 1990s he the porn star hair. Yeah, that sort of big, long, flowy, yeah, very like a main. Like every male porn star mm. in the '90s was trying to like emulate Fabio. Yeah, like that's what yeah, they were yeah, getting. So Fabio it's luxurious, hair. and it now, he looks like a dork. In the comics, he did also have that hair. But so you that, can look, was, it looks cooler when you're drawing it, and it can always flow in the wind. Just you're right. You're right. Uh, yeah. So John, Johnny Domino was the, his real name. Oh God, he even sounds like a porn star. He, he changed his name to that. He was a, it was an he aspiring to latrine. Yes, well, his his name. <laughs> was John Domingo, but he was an aspiring saxophonist, so he changed it to mm-hmm. Johnny Domino because that sounds cooler, and he got uh-huh. more work that way. So he's still in... That's still part of it. He's still a saxophonist okay. in this series. All right. And uh, in, I, in early in, on in the second season of Nightman, uh, the creator said, hey, I still have the rights to Manimal. I, I know. We'll put Manimal in the show. Okay, fine. Yeah, I'm still friends with Simon McCorkendale. Uh, He'll show up. Yeah, Simon McCorkendale, still still okay. working actor. Uh, so, so we put Manimal into Nightman. Okay, okay, we're good. And then we have the opening of this episode. This is season two, episode six. It's called mm-hmm. Manimal. The opening of the episode... Opens Jack the Ripper is on the prowl in the, the 1890s. Street, in the streets of 19th century London. Manimal travels back through time. They call him the Doctor, so I guess someone who wrote this was a fan of Doctor Who. Right? <laughs> and he like turns into a cat, and then now it's all CG and it happens real fast. Which yeah, I'm not yeah. sure it's an improvement, but whatever. It, it gets the story going faster. Mm-hmm. He fights Jack the Ripper. Jack the Ripper also travels through time, yeah, they, like they back tra- to the 1990s. They, they travel to the present together, and yeah. uh, just like in Time After Time. It's a Time After Time. <laughs> Episode. Jack the Ripper begins wreaking havoc in the present. Okay, so, just Man- so we're clear. Manimal and Nightman now have to team up to fight Jack the Ripper. Okay, so just so we're clear. Manimal and Nightman fighting Jack the Ripper and traveling through time. Mm-hmm. This is one of the most boring episodes of television I've ever seen. <laughs> How do you do that? Uh, now, 
How do you do that? Nightman has the kind of like late 90s TV special effects that are terrible to look at, but for nostalgic reasons, set my heart afire. So like, there's a lot of like green gels and really crappy CG. And we'll I get just, to I Mantis like, eventually. <laughs> we won't. Mantis lasted two seasons. Did it really? It I said this is like one season on one website. No, oh, and then one episode he fights invisible dinosaurs. It's, that's how yeah. he died. He got eaten by an invisible dinosaur. Yeah. That was the yeah. last episode. The la- of the second season, <laughs> you say. That's the end of Sad- Mantis. Sadly, we cannot cover Mantis. If it's an invisible dinosaur, do you get to see him like in the dinosaur's belly getting dissolved? Wouldn't that be fun? Yes. <laughs> Uh, also, Manimal in this episode, it turns out, has an adult daughter. Yeah. I think her name was Teresa. I want to say that, too. Uh, she's but she's kind of a non-entity. She's, she's dating a pianist who Jack the Ripper like cuts his hand off, mm-hmm. and they have to reattach his hand, and will he ever play piano again is a subplot they forget about quickly. Well, I don't think they cut it off. Like He stabs him through the hand. No, they, they said it's almost severed. Oh, okay. They yeah, said like they have to do like microsurgery to repair all the tendons and everything like that. He's, oh, he's, right. he's screwed. All right. I, th- um, I thought he just like sort of stabbed him through the hand just to ruin no, his like, piano career. No, they like they like almost severed his hand. I think is the idea. Okay. Well, yeah. Um, and just be- and Jack the Ripper did this just because he's an evil bastard. No, because he's trying to get revenge on Manimal. Mm. Manimal is Jack the Ripper's arch nemesis now. <laughs> Again, the original had him like stopping racetrack con artists. This is where Manimal lives. <laughs> this is the good stuff. <laughs> The idea is that Manimal has an adult daughter and he's never shared with her his Manimalness, which is weird because he's really rather proud of it. And and it's his legacy. It was his father. And he thinks it's been passed on to her, this gift, uh, which kind of goes against the premise. Because it had to be bestowed upon him when his father died. But all right. Is Brooke Teresa's mother? They never say. They never say who her mother is. The implication is is that the mother died, Mm -hmm. but they never say who the mother is. They don't say her name. There's no picture of her. I would like to think it's Brooke just because they had good chemistry and we never saw him date anyone except maybe that one snake charmer who fucked the snake <laughs> um so i guess we're supposed to think it's brooke but they literally never say yeah and she it turns out she does have the gift at one point she turns into a hawk and like helps mm. nightman fight jack well, the ripper that doesn't happen until like she, it's revealed she has the gift and she like in a moment of panic mm. in essentially the x-men moment like this yeah. mo- moment of adolescent stress yeah and she's able to suddenly become yeah. animals and then immediately now, turns into a hawk and has a psychic link with nightman and says you have nothing to fear from me that we yeah, have one purpose that's another stupid. that's another well th- this whole element everything in, that's explained about manimal in nightman would have gone done so much back in the 1980s to go like the whole part reason night or nightman the whole reason manimal was fighting crime to begin with was this weird sort of cosmic spiritual thing he needs to bring some sort of moral order to the universe mm-hmm. and for somebody who has a spiritually bent superpower you know he yeah. kind of has to meditate and breathe deep yeah, he's, one with, he's, he's, he's one, one with nature he's one with nature it would have made a lot more sense had they made that explicit back in 1983 it's a better idea it gives, so, it, it gives him a reason to do stuff 19, it gives him a perspective so and a point even, of view even uh, an admittedly crappy show like Nightman was at a point in TV writing where they felt like they had to explain that. Yeah. <laughs> like, TV writing had advanced so much that even a crap show was better about explaining Manimal <laughs> than they were at this crap, this slightly yeah. be- bigger production from 1983. I was worried that when I was watching Nightman that I wouldn't have any idea what was going on because it's second season of Nightman. Mm-hmm. There's probably a whole bunch of characters. Turns out Nightman was a lot like Manimal. He went around doing his own thing. He had, like, a tough female cop who helped him out but was of no use whatsoever and a black sidekick who mostly mm-hmm. said quips and had nothing to contribute you would think the shows were created by the same man <laughs> <laughs> clearly he has a type 
again, it, it's it's fine. Jonathan Chase and his daughter come to terms or whatever, and you'd think that like she'd come back and like we'd have one animal or something. And uh, no, no, that's it. That's it. That was the end of uh, Manimal. Mm. Um, Manimal is the problem with Manimal. Is that it's, it's not as it's not as good as you'd hope it would be, and it's not as bad. Yeah, it's know, a it's... dumb concept, but there were dumber stuff on TV. It's a stupid title. There were stupider titles. the 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 episodes have occasional bits of weirdness, but they're just pretty generic. I don't. I'm not surprised people even remembered its badness. There is worse uh, bad I think, shit out there. I think it's the title, well, maybe even the title alone that sort of the title and the premise alone that are keeping it alive in sort of the pop consciousness is this weird footnote. It's a decent it's, portmanteau, but like seriously, this is a Marvel character. No one would bat an eye. Manimal? Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Fine. But that it came out as sort of this cop show out of nowhere. Yeah. Like it's not based in a comic book. It's just Manimal. Manimal is is <laughs> sprung fully formed from the skull of Zeus uh, into the universe, and that it was canceled so quickly and that yeah. it wasn't available on home video allowed its legend to grow hmm. which meant when they referenced it on mystery science theater it was like this distant far off thing that if you might have had a vhs of it if you were like, lucky if i ever get a chance to, to see manimal it, which, yeah. i'm totally seeing manimal yeah. so people were talking about manimal for longer than manimal was on it was <laughs> embell- embellished by memory so now that we finally have it on dvd now yeah. that it's readily available we can see that it's not the worst show of all time, mm-hmm. but we can see that it's a pretty dull-ass show, and we can see why it was canceled. Yeah, the question, of course, is... Was Manimal canceled too soon? No. I think we were good. I think Manimal... No, Manimal was a show that could have improved if it had, like, the ratings were okay, and it found a voice, and it, you know, the episodes were well, better. If it had a like, str- if it had, like, a better thought-out <laughs> premise than yeah. just guy turns into like, animals. It could have, like, found its footing over time. Mm-hmm. It didn't need to. Like, I'd, I'd feel no demand for it. I'd not feel like, oh, this is so disappointing. How cool this could have been. It could have been better, but like, I don't know if it ever would have been great. Here's what I would have liked to see. Do you remember? Uh, this is going to be a weird analog, but do you remember Sonic the Hedgehog, the cartoon shows? Yes. The two that ran like simultaneously. Yeah, there was one super childlike, dorky one about yeah. eating hot dogs and goofy bad guys, and the one post-apocalyptic, mm. badass anime-inspired action series. Okay, Manimal is the anime-inspired badass action series. Manimal, however, would have been much better as the goofy and hot dogs Saturday morning show. See, I think it's trying to be both simultaneously, and, and I, I think th- if it had picked either, it would have been a better show. Maybe so. I, I think it's, I it's, think it's th- thinks its concept is silly, but not silly enough. Mm. And if it had pretended it was totally dead serious and gone all badass, I think mm. it would have been better too. I think uh, I think it's tilting definitely more towards silly, and I think had they played it more like lighthearted and comic, yeah. then it would have been a lot stronger. And if Adam McKay and Will Ferrell are going to make a f- a movie out of it, which I'd be surprised. Honestly, I bet that's it's, stuck in development. It's, hell. It's I'd not, be surprised. I don't think it's ever going to get off the ground. Yeah. But uh, you I know, think we, all the momentum. But died. we said that about Green Lantern. Uh, <laughs> but um, I think they will be really smart, presumably, about striking the right tone. They're going to sort of point out how ridiculous it is. They're probably just going to spoof the dumbness of it. Probably, or at least like the, or at least like that era of television. Yeah, yeah. but if if they're really smart about sort of taking the premise just seriously enough and telling a story just seriously enough while still 
Look, facing how dumb it, the whole thing was, then that tone is exactly what the show needed to be originally. Look, Manimal, Manimal was not canceled too soon, but I do think it is ripe for a reboot. <laughs> Whether it's a movie or just another TV yeah. show, throw it on the Sci-Fi Network or FX or whatever. If you're making like, a TV series after time after time, clearly you're out of ideas. So, so why my, not reboot Manimal? Manimal might work better now. Who the fuck knows? Like, I'd be fine with it, honestly. So, um, yeah, Manimal, we did that. We did, Manimal. You're welcome. <laughs> it's all for you, Damien. <laughs> do we have any letters? We can have oh, time uh, for like let, one or two. Me, uh, why don't you give them a preview gonna of what we're going to cover? Okay, so uh, I'm going to tell you about next week's episode, and I'm also going to tell you about the Twitter poll that mm-hmm. you can now take part of. Next week's episode, we're going to be talking about the 1990s super cheap Mm. Star Trek knockoff Space Rangers, which was donated to us and came with our favorite note so far. So we popped it up to the top of the list. Um, And we'll be talking about that next week. Our latest poll, where you get to help us decide one of the episodes we'll record next month in the month of April, is going to be live on Twitter when this episode goes live. We'll leave Mm. that up for about a week, as long as Twitter will let us. Uh, So we have plenty of time to pick between. Tequila and Bonetti, Woo! a show about a New York Guido Italian. I'm Italian. I can say that word. You can't. Uh, <laughs> a, a, a very like outlandishly Italian cop moves to Santa Monica and gets a talking dog partner. I was raised in Santa Monica, so I'm looking forward to playing the "Hey, I was on that street." Game. Yeah, I, we can do that throughout yeah. a lot. Of, I think I got married at a location in Tequila and Bonetti. Yeah. Uh, Thunder in Paradise, the Hulk Hogan, you know, Caribbean action adventure series where he has a night boat. Uh, Earth 2, which you know more about than I do. Give people like a one-sentence pitch for Earth 2. Earth 2. Colony of humans leave Earth to found a new planet, land on wild planet, good guys, bad guys, power struggles. Is that a Gene Roddenberry series? Uh, No, but I think it came up uh, around... Like the time as uh, like next generation or whatever uh, Andromeda and yeah. Earth Earth Final Conflict right. yes. and uh, lastly one of the more notorious X Files knockoffs Freaky Links uh-huh. starring Ethan Embry as a guy who has a website that exposes a whole bunch of supernatural crap um, one of the many shows in which they tried to make the internet cool and failed so you can vote for one of those shows and whichever show gets the most votes by the end of the poll we will record that episode in April sometime mm. uh, early. In April, if it's a show that didn't last too long, probably later in April, if it's like Thunder in Paradise, which lasted like 22 episodes. Mm. So, uh, do we have a letter? Uh, This comes from Daniel. Okay. Uh, I've only been listening since late last year, but I've managed to go through around three episodes a week since I started. Fantastic stuff, fellas. Thank you. Perhaps I'll write some proper fan mail on down the line. Once I am fully caught up, I have 15 episodes left to go. Uh, anyway, until then, I want to settle settle for dishing out a few suggestions. Uh, Monster Force, 1994. I don't know that one, actually. Uh, Universal's short-lived 13-episode animated series set in the future where a team of monster hunters battle Dracula, the Bride, the Mummy, the Gilman, etc. Okay, we're putting that on the list. That sounds cool. Uh, The failed 1995 TV pilot for The Omen Show. It has nothing to do with the film series. Oh, yeah. They did a couple of tries on The Omen, so we'll get to that. Yeah, that's a good Uh, one. I imagine the rest of these are requested often, so I'll throw my head in the ring. Oh, he's a whole list here. Okay. uh, Speed through it. Starman. Nightman. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Nightman <laughs> lasted too long. Starman's uh, on the list. Yeah. Mantis. Sorry. Uh, Werewolf the Series. We'll get to it. Uh, we have Werewolf the Series. It's a long one, though, so yeah. we've been putting it off for a bit. Uh, the Cape. We'll get to it. 
She-Wolf of London, both RoboCop shows. Yes. Conan the Adventurer. Conan the Adventurer, I think, lasted too long. Yeah, I think so. I, th- I liked that show, too, when mm. I was a kid. I think that mm. one lasted two seasons. Uh, the 90s Dark Shadows, we're doing that, for yeah, sure. Yeah, we'll get to that. The, uh, the Swamp Thing series. Uh, one of There were two Swamp Thing series. One of them lasted two seasons, one of them lasted one season. Yeah. I think the animated series is the one that only lasted yeah. one season. Uh, Power Pack. That's a fake. That's a failed pilot that I actually do want to get yeah, to. We'll yeah. get to that like next, maybe sometime when we have a Marvel movie coming out in theaters or something. It's synergy. <laughs> uh, House of Frankenstein. That's a TV movie. Mm. Uh, if Blade, it was a pilot for a show though that, that yeah. turned into a TV movie. We'll, we'll uh, Blade the series. We have that. We have that. Both Planet of the Apes series. <laughs> we we want to get to that too. We'll probably do one of those when the, the new Planet of the Apes movie comes out. Yeah, and we'll, yeah. We'll, War for the Planet. Yeah, of the that Apes comes out this summer. We'll probably do a Planet mm. of the Apes series when that comes out. Uh, the Exorcist, mm-hmm. Bates Motel, the original pilot. <laughs> oh, <laughs> from yeah. 1987. Oh, yeah, we should totally do I've, that. I've seen that one. Did The yeah. Exorcist officially get canceled, the new Exorcist? I guess so. I think I've been waiting on that because I actually saw the first couple mm-hmm. episodes and really dug it. So if that got canceled, yeah. we'll totally do and, that. And uh, South of Hell, uh, and a long shot, Salem's Lot. Well, that's. Uh, that was not intended as a series. That's not a series. That, that, was, was, that was a mini series. It was a cool, yeah. it was a cool mini series, but that was uh, not intended as a It got a theatrical sequel that has nothing to do with it, but a follow up series to Hooper's mini series was initially planned. Presumably with David Soul and the kid. We will look into that if that was originally planned, like as the fundamental idea, because that miniseries does end with like this could go on. Mm-hmm. Well, it, fine, but it has to be the original intent and not a back door. It, it was intended yeah. as a miniseries, yeah. and I think mm-hmm. uh, if if there was some sort of pilot that I don't know about mm-hmm. that he's bringing to my attention, then that's great. I'm one of the anyway, few fans of Return to Salem's Lot, by the way. Oh, you're the one. I, that uh, anyway, is not terrible. That movie has some interesting ideas to it. Keep, I, I haven't seen it. I don't know anybody who likes it, though. It's, it's uh, kind of cool because it's like the idea is, okay, it's an entire town run by vampires, mm. and they invite like a, a sociologist to come over and to defend their way of life. Like, listen, don't we have the right to live, too? <laughs> and that's and he's like, oh, well, maybe you do. And it's Michael Moriarty, and mm. it's kind of neat. And then um, and he starts getting kind of swayed. Maybe vampires got all this all figured out. And then Samuel Fuller shows up as a Nazi <laughs> hunter who says, just because they're Samuel al- Fuller. Shows Just up. because they're alive doesn't mean we have to support their horrible deeds. So I don't care if that's your way of life. It shouldn't be covered under the Geneva Convention. You kill people to survive. He says, anyway, keep up the stellar work, fellas. Yeah. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have another episode to listen to. Sincerely, Dan. Also, Return to Salem's Lot, Tara Reid's first movie. No kidding. Yeah. Very cool. It's not, it's, it, it's not great, but it has ideas, and I respect mm-hmm. that. Um, so yeah, I, we'd have to look into Salem's Lot to see if that was originally the plan, mm-hmm. but it's my understanding it was not. No. So well, we got a letter addressed to you, and you actually uh, talked to this guy, so I'll just mm-hmm. give a, 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 yeah. a brief back and forth. You wrote an article, a, a news story, a couple of years back about oh, how Warner, oh Warner Brothers was I'm working. So sorry about this. Okay. <laughs> Warner Brothers was working on a, a live action slash CGI uh, film, feature film version of their animated series Gargoyles. But I didn't. Okay, here's the deal. Now on the internet, uh, on the internet, on April Fool's Day. All the big movie sites post a fake news story. Mm. That was my fake news story for April Fool's Day. It had April yeah. Fool's Day in the, uh, on the date it was published. And indeed, uh, all of like the quotes and everything were tongue-in-cheek, very jokey. Mm. Uh, it I, was intended re- as a <clears throat> gag. And people, of course, only read the headline. And so, some people think there's going to be a Gargoyles movie. I am sorry. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> because too many people took that seriously. My hope in the back of my head was that by doing this sort of gag thing people might realize oh yeah Gargoyles the movie there's probably a lot of interest in that we should make a Gargoyles movie and then I could go ha ha I helped 
And instead, I made everyone's day worse when they found out that that one, like that was the one fake news story they wanted to see. It was too plausible mm. is the problem. That was the lesson I yeah. learned the hard way. I feel terrible about that. Mm. And that comes up at least once every couple of months when I get a tweet from someone's like, hey, what happened to that Gargoyles movie? It was April Fool's Day. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I did that same thing on Crave Online. Uh. But my idea was to have a three-hour Ren and Stimpy feature film. Now, that. that one nobody can take seriously because John Kay would not make a three-hour... Well, I guess he would, but... This one year, I kind of used it to pitch what I thought would be cool ideas. Like, let's mm. do a Die Hard prequel, mm. but it's about the Gruber brothers when they were young. <laughs> like, I thought that'd be kind of cool. We got to see how they had their yeah. falling out. Like, I thought they had a cast like like uh, Mads Mikkelsen is, as, uh, uh, in the Jeremy Irons role. Like, I thought it'd be kind of neat. No one cared about that one. Nope, the Gargoyles sorry. one I'd hit love people to see. a little too close to home. I am sorry. Miles Teller and Dane DeHaan as the young Gruber brothers. No. Yes. No. Yes. Miles Teller? Yeah. No. I like Miles Teller. I love Miles Teller. I don't think he's perfectly cast in everything. Okay. All right. So in any case, I learned a lesson there. I'm sorry. I really am. <laughs> I really do feel don't, genuinely bad you know about what? that. Don't be sorry. You no. gotta, you gotta own that ish. I, I, uh, I am owning it. Okay, I'm owning it. I'm owning that I no, made you, a mistake. You didn't make a mistake. I you, think I made a mistake. You, you I wrote. I, you, I did the wrong. You type wrote. Of article. You wrote a convincing April Fool's Day prank that is living on. I think that's a triumph unto itself. But after and you should April never Fool's apologize. Day, it's not funny. Like on, if you find out about that on May fifteenth, it's not funny. Oh, t- tap into your cruel streak and laugh at anybody who falls for All it. All right. Any more? Got one more. Uh, th- yeah. This one comes from David. All right. One more. Uh, I just listened to your podcast about. El- Traz, and it brought back a lot of memories of the show. I watched each episode as it was released and was deeply fascinated by the mystery surrounding the prisoners and the prison itself. However, thinking back upon the show and including everything that you both brought up, I have to nod my head and agree that there were many problems that simply couldn't be ignored. That's too bad because I think there was a story worth telling. Okay. When the show was canceled, my first thought was that it could that it, this could have been avoided had Alcatraz reversed how the story was told. If I had written it, I would have laid out early that this was a show about time travel. It was obvious all along that the warden and his shadowy cabal of friends were sending prisoners forward through time. Yeah. Why draw out this mystery when we knew what was going on? Yeah. Why worry about keys and a secret room? Instead, the mystery I would have created was not what was happening, but why. What was the warden attempting to do by sending them to the future? Much like your idea, Bibbs, I believe you mm. said this, uh, you would have season one only about the prisoners and season two about modern day San Francisco. Another yeah. thought I have upon reflection is that this was a case of a bad show with a good cast. Sam Neill, Perminda Nagra, etc. Are, are all great actors who can accomplish a lot of good work. Yeah. However, there simply wasn't enough to work with. I'm not sure if this is because the writers thought they could draw out the mystery by keeping these characters mostly as bland as possible, or again, there simply wasn't anything to work with story-wise to start with, David. I think it was more the former in the case of Alcatraz. They mm. they wanted to make sure everything was mysterious, yeah. so they didn't give the characters backstory, so as That's they didn't trick. have character. That was the clever thing about Lost, mm. where like all the characters on Lost, when you meet them on the island, they're very clearly defined, and they're very mm. interesting, and so when you had the flashbacks fleshing them out, the flashbacks were a surprise. Yeah. Oh, this guy who's a total badass on the island and a heroic hunter, he's actually mm. a very, in, in real life, outside the island, he's a very depressed office worker. <laughs> that was a surprise. Uh-huh. And so you realize that, like, this sort of, this desert island scenario is giving an opportunity for people to be who they really are. That was what was cool about it. When you say, like, well, but we can't tell you too much about them without ruining it, then you just can't tell us anything about characters. And so we don't get invested mm. in them, and we don't care about the mystery anymore. <laughs> it's lame. All right, last Uh, Last letter. This one's from Jim. Uh, Dear Pope Man and Altar Boy. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, I think I'm. I think I was the one raised Catholic, so I'm po- Pope Man. Pope Man, Pope Man, and Alta Boy. Um, I immediately recognized your reference to Eddie Eddie's opening of the Great Dress to Kill comedy special. Oh, uh, and Alcatraz. That's that's a reference to Alcatraz. That's why we Al- say it that Al-Gatraz. way. Alcatraz. We're imitating Eddie Eddie Izzard. That is the special that I inter- that introduced me to my all time favorite comedian. I know you have probably heard the suggestion of Bullet in the Face. I feel it is Eddie mm-hmm. being the most Eddie in any performance, and his scene is scenes are great. At so one Eddie, point, uh, yeah, Eddie, Eddie, Eddie Izzard has done a lot of movies, but he's not a good actor. And I think he's by his, okay. I think by his own admission, he's not a good actor. Like he's okay. Like he's mm-hmm. fine. Like I, I wouldn't like I wouldn't put him in the lead in anything. But like well, he, as like as a fun supporting role, he he mostly plays Eddie Izzard. Yeah, you know mm-hmm. that that's his deal. I've met Eddie Izzard by the way. He was really nice. I, um, I, I interviewed him. Uh, I interviewed Eddie Izzard mm-hmm. in the same room with Eric Idle. Okay, well, that's fun. That was a so good they can, day they for can, me. They can kind of support one another. That was a cool uh, day. <laughs> but yeah, Eddie Izzard played a, a minor thug in Mystery Men. He played mm. a, a koala in the wild. And he was he in a movie Grandpa called... Munster in that one failed Munsters reboot pilot from yeah, Brian thir- Fuller? Yeah, I think it's just called Mockingbird Lane. Yeah. Yes, he did. He played Grandpa Munster. Good. We'll, we'll, he we'll cover in, that. He was in Brian point. Fuller's Hannibal. In a couple episodes, and he was quite good. Okay, he was yeah, quite good. I've only that. seen him in his films, and he, he, he they played to his strengths. He hasn't blown me away in any films. I, 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 that's fine. I think mm. he, he he's a better stand-up comic than anything else, but he's a good stand-up. No, comic. he says uh, on a more serious note, I wanted to ask your opinions on Eddie's career, which we were just talking about. Pretty much. Uh, while a popular comedian and philanthropist, he did not seem to hit big commercially until the two thousands. He seemed to find his niche as henchman number two in the Avengers and Whitney's favorite film. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, uh, which a movie that doesn't let him talk. The Avengers, yeah. He, he has he's one the line new- of dialogue, and it's as he's falling, he yells, Shit! No, I, I think he says the F word. Does he? he? Yeah. Well, he says a swear word, yeah, but yeah. we're not. So like, that's his last thing. Yeah. He, it's he, his he, only line of dialogue. You don't cut. cast Eddie Izzard and don't let him talk. <laughs> what are you and, doing? And, and Whitney's favorite film, which again is Mystery Men. Great movie. <laughs> I, I, I really love Mystery <laughs> Men. Uh, the <laughs> Batman should be exterminated, Casanova. Best line delivery <laughs> ever. And he has like such a bad American accent. Oh, I know. It's like. I think he knows. It though, I think so, he's yeah. playing someone doing a so, bad American. So, yo, the bowler, I'm the one who gave your dad the shaft. What are you talking about? Uh, the cynic in me says that his alternative lifestyle hindered his career in the 90s, but now he's become more acceptable. He's a transvestite, yes. uh, the hopeful part of me says he's a unique performer who is difficult to cast as anything other than himself. Cake or death, Jim. Um, uh, cake, please. <laughs> cake for me too, please. <laughs> but we're out of cake. <laughs> um, yeah, we're both big Eddie Izzard fans. Um, mm. We 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 love his work, uh, and uh, yeah, it's a shame he hasn't maybe broken out more. But maybe he has a uh, wheelhouse uh, and he's in it. He he has to work so hard as a comedian. I've seen him yeah. live a couple times, and uh, he has to workshop his act to. To death, essentially. Yeah. If you ever uh, get to see, see or hear an early recording of some of his uh, mm-hmm. more prominent shows, they're not done yet. Yeah. He, he finds the right way to he, deliver that so, material. So he goes out on stage and he tries out his material in front of live audiences and he travels mm-hmm. around. And it, by the time you see it, it's been honed and it feels really off the cuff. That's kind of his style, but it's actually really, really carefully planned. Yeah. And uh, as such, when it comes to sort of acting, that doesn't seem to be what he what his strength is. He's not an actor. He's a comedian. That's what he devotes his life and his time to. Yes. And oh. so th- when he's creating these sort of off-the-cuff type characters, it's hilarious. And you mm-hmm. want to say, hey, I want to see that in a film. But that wouldn't work in a film. No. And that's why his film career never took off. Yes. But we, mm-hmm. on our stand-up comics, we are podcasters. And this was our podcast, Cancel Too Soon. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at CancelCast and on Facebook. 
Facebook at facebook.com slash canceled too soon. Uh, you can also listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher now. Uh, please, We're on Stitcher. If you're on Stitcher, please subscribe and leave us a review or just a star rating on Stitcher. We're new to that, and as a result, we really need to, to sort of bring up our numbers for anyone else new to notice us there. Yeah. Uh, so that would be really, really appreciated. If you if you want to keep contributing shows via our Amazon Wishlist, that link is on our Twitter account mm-hmm. and on our Libsyn pages. Um, but uh, if you can't afford to do that, if you want to show your appreciation for the show, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Facebook, and give us a quick review wherever yeah, you can. Yeah. That, would, that alone would be great. And tell your friends. Tell your friends. Always good to have more people. <laughs> um, and again, next week, uh, we will be back with an episode about Space Rangers, another show that was donated to the program. Mm-hmm. I'm one episode into it, and oh, it's like a Sega CD game come to life. I can't wait. Oh I, can't, I can't wait to see Space Rangers. Anyway, I'm on Twitter at William Bibiani. I am at Whitney Seibold. And uh, that's a wrap, folks. We will see you next season. <laughs>